welcome, welcome, Real Stories podcast listeners to another great episode of Real Stories with Graham and Brian. We're here to help tell some real stories from real people in a real simple way. Together, Brian and I are hoping to archive the story of the Sandusky River Valley, its people, its geography, and its past. Please help us by subscribing to our podcast wherever you listen, so you'll get some updates on new episodes and help us attract new listeners so we can spread these stories to more people. Please join us after today's show for a historical breakdown of today's real story. If you lived in the Sandusky River Valley from 1992 to 2011, and you ever ventured into a bar, spent an evening at Putin Bay, or attended a house party, it's likely that you've heard of today's guests. This dynamic bar band duo rocked over 700 shows from 1992 to 2011. And whether you saw them at the Deviation from Reality Summer Social in 1992, the Alibi Room, Bud's Tavern in Fremont, Mr. Ed's in Putin Bay, Billy Bob's in Cary, MJ Muggsy's in Upper Sandusky, Walleye's on Middle Bass, or at a quiet inn on Mackinac Island, I bet you they rocked the house and made you feel good about being out and about. Today, Tom, Fritz Martin, and Bill, the Kid Latham, join us for a stroll down memory lane. They discuss their motivations for playing music, their most memorable ditties, work-life balance, and many ruckus nights around North Central Ohio. We hope that you enjoy today's real story of Fritz and the Kid. Hey, Graham. Uh, do you remember in our heyday when we were going uh, out on Friday and Saturday nights, going places, having fun, hanging out with friends. There was there was a group that played almost nonstop everywhere we went, from Upper Sandusky, where we're at, uh, all the way up to the lake, up to the to the islands. Um, that group was Fritz and a Kid. Yeah, I, they were everywhere. Everywhere. Uh, yeah, we, you know, Brian and I graduated high school in the late, mid, mid to late 90s, and yeah, then... It, in they were they were around an upper they were you'd end up you'd be up at put bay and all of a sudden there's fritz and the kid in high school i remember them playing bars in town and then after high school i remember coming into my formative years uh you know hanging out at put bay hanging out at the lake and they were playing up there and i thought how do these guys these two random guys from upper sandusky end up all the way up here to lake yeah, because they were doing it, and they were professional. They were. They were good. They were gigging <laughs> musicians. They were. Yeah, yeah. and uh, in our conversation today with Fritz and the Kid, you really could see it in both of them how much passion they had for it, and just yeah the and the memories those two created for themselves. I mean, they w- this is our longest show to date. And we had basically cut it off. I mean, we, yeah. we'd be like, hey, all right, guys. So it's, uh, this basically, I guess you could say, would be part one for us. Yeah. I mean, there's if, if we get enough requests, we'll bring uh, Fritz and the Kid back on next season. We'll, we'll, and, go, we'll uh, do deep cuts. Deep cuts. <laughs> yeah, we'll do Fr- some deep cuts. Deep cuts with Fritz and the Kid. Maybe they'll even do a song for us and record one. Oh, yeah, that's what I was kind of hoping we'd get Rosalita recorded or something. So um, there was so much cool history talked about in this podcast there was yeah and and a lot of people that that we've uh, encountered along the years that that it was interesting to hear them say their names that were that were pivotal people like the crew uh, that you know they talk about the crew and that's yeah uh jared orians jim johnson and and, and that crew and we kurt all McMillan, kurt mcmillan Schroeder. we all knew those guys 
yeah. growing up. It was a lot of great, great names mentioned. I mean, like you know, like Bill told us, they played se- over seven hundred shows. Yeah, that was, that's, that's amazing. A lot of time. That's yeah. a lot. That's from 1992 uh, to 2011. Is that correct? Yep, that's okay. correct. And they they thought maybe 1999 was their peak performance year with uh, 75 shows in 1999 in 52 weeks. Yeah, in in basically 40 weeks if you take out winter. Yeah, uh, and there was some cool history brought in. Uh, Rowan and Martin's laughing. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, they talked about um, high school sports. They talked about. Uh, the the deviation from reality <laughs> party summer social um they also know. talked about the teen center uptown uh yep. where, where the prosecutor's office is now yeah the uh, old thurman hotel is that what it was the thurman? Yes. okay yep uh, uh torn down in 78 i think and so. they they built the uh prosecutor's office then is that yeah how that, yep okay. we we talked about zeke Talk about uh, Zeke. The old, uh, the, the maybe the original uh, band from Upper. I mean, rock and roll band. That was probably the first rock and roll band from Upper. Um, if, if there's somebody out there that knows of one before Zeke, we would be happy to hear about it because I, I've never heard of any no. that, that I can think of off the top of my head. No, we, t- we talked about Zeke. We talked about Jake. We talked about um, uh, Matt Marshall's band. Oh, Brace. Brace, yeah. which I had which never, became, which became Marble, which became Sixty Six Leaves, uh, yeah, begets, 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 yeah, yeah. Even uh, I suppose the remnants of that was still like Doctor Ike and the Funk King, yeah, kind of, yeah, anyway, yeah who played at my wedding. Did they really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yep. okay. Yeah, That's, they called was... me Graham Bacon. Oh, did they? <laughs> <laughs> Jordan and Graham Bacon. that's appropriate. Yes. Uh, so that and that's Isaac Orians and Eric King. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We talked about Billy Bob's and Carrie. Billy Bob's and Carrie, and which, I remember I remember going there. Which, uh, by the way, you and I were thinking of Hillsies. Hillsies. That yep. was the one out by the tracks. Yeah, yeah. out by the tracks. Yep. Uh, man, uh, Fremont bars. Oh, Mr. Ed's at Putin Bay. Yeah. Mr. Ed specifically, Mr. and yeah. some other random guy that worked up there. <laughs> um, the Lons Winery collapse is mentioned here. Yep. Mackinac Island. All sorts of good '90s harmony tunes. So. It was a fun episode. Uh, join us, um, you know, after we're going to break down a few of these, you know, kind of local history stories that just got mentioned. And, um, you know, we'll, uh, we'll we'll try to talk about the history behind them and uh, we'll uncover the mystery of their, their ZZ Top story. <laughs> well, it wasn't their ZZ. Well, yeah, I True. guess it was. It was, it was their story. Yeah. Uh, it was Zeke's story, though. Yeah. yeah. Somebody else's story so. that they told. Sweet. Okay. Well, I think we're ready to get to the show. Let's hit it. All right, everybody, we hope you enjoy it. Uh, This is the real story of Fritz and the Kid. Okay, podcast listeners, I am joined here today with two dudes that I have uh, definitely admired for a long time and super excited to have you guys here. Uh, Bill Latham and Tom Martin, also known as Fritz and the Kid from back in the day. Uh, Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thank you, young man. Yeah, it's been, uh, I've, I've been, uh, you guys were one of the top things on Brian and I's list. We're like, man, we've, we, if we could get Fritz and the kid, it'd be super cool. And so really great to have you guys here. Real quick, I'll just kind of start with your guys' childhoods a little bit. You guys are both from Upper, right? If I'm correct. That's correct. Uh, Bill, for, the, for the most part, yes. Yeah, I was most born in Fremont and uh, moved here when I was nine and 
yeah, started school in the fourth grade here. So yeah, I'm, a, I'm an upper boy. You're going to be impressed with my my research here. Your dad was a sheriff's deputy in Fremont. He was. He was in law enforcement for ten years, and then uh, his job change to Nationwide Insurance brought us to Upper. Yep. Yeah. Live. Yeah. Cool. He was a, a insurance adjuster for a while, and then was an agent. That is correct. Okay. Good. All right. I was born in the armpit of the nation, Elkhart, Indiana. Whoa, really? You ever been there? Yeah, they have. A, isn't there like a huge? Uh, yeah, some RV RV thing there. Thing there. Yeah. yeah, and then uh, when I was one or two, we moved to Maumee, and from Maumee we moved uh, to Upper in seventy-five, maybe. Okay. Like that. So your your dad wasn't from Upper Oh, yeah, he was. He was. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought so. He was a dental technician, and he went to dental tech school in Elkhart, Indiana. That's how we ended up there. Nice. Okay. Yep. Cool. Uh, all right. And then you guys went to high school. Did you guys, were you in the band or choir, any of that stuff in high school? I was not. I was not. I, uh, I was in drama. I was in the junior-senior class play. Um, got cut from the basketball team when I was a sophomore, and was really disappointed in that, and that's what caused me to pick up a tennis racket. I wanted to play something in high school. Yeah. So I picked up a tennis racket, and I am still playing and loving and coaching uh, tennis uh, 45 years later. Yeah, so it was actually a blessing in disguise that I got cut because that's what helped me pick up a tennis racket, and ultimately, that's how I met Tom. Oh, nice. Yeah, well, anyone listening that doesn't know Bill Latham, he is a, he, he's, he's an excellent tennis player. Um, you know, I, I, it's good, better than anybody I've ever played with or seen play, I think. Well, I was much better when I was younger. The, the well, legs are still there, but they're fading. Yeah, nice. Okay, so no, so now that you guys play, did you play sports in high? You were, you were a stud athlete, I believe, in now, high school. No, you don't have to say that. But yes, I did. <laughs> I played a lot of sports, and that's why I played uh, tennis for four years, and that's where I, we met. Okay, you were his tennis coach. You were mm -hmm. kind of like helping out Tom Needs? Yeah, Tom and I are actually nine years apart. Yep. I think I graduated in 78 and you graduated in 87. Seven. Yeah. yeah. So I was helping coach needs with the tennis team. And I think I started helping Tom when he was a junior and he was, uh, and I talk about this all the time. I've been involved with the tennis program for five decades and I can count back to several kids that were, that I really, really enjoyed coaching because they were such quick studies Yeah. and they picked up the game uh, naturally. Uh, the Steve Beelers and the Nick Johnson and Tom was Tom was one of my first. He was he he's such a natural athlete. He picked the sport up really quickly and got got very competent. Yeah, in twenty minutes. So he was really fun to coach, and he was a sponge and and really, you know, I was able to pass on a lot about the sport to him. Well, well. well. <laughs> and yeah. uh, so anyway, yeah, he was fun to coach, and it was then you know later after he got out of school um, that he started doing solo work. And then we kind of reconnected. There's a really a, a good story that we can tell you about how that happened. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you guys graduate high school. You're you're you graduate high school, uh, seventy eight and seventy eight. And then t tell us how. You, let's get kind of move forward in that. What did you do after high school? Well, I immediately started uh, work at the sheriff's office. I started my okay. law enforcement career um, yep. of forty years at the sheriff's office as a as a dispatcher working in the jail, and then uh, became a deputy uh, in. in uh, 1981 and then we're here yeah, yeah, so, yeah i was just here and continued my law enforcement career and then um 
Oh, and we could do a whole episode on, I'm sure, stories yeah. from okay. Bill Latham's <laughs> law enforcement yeah, career. Yeah, for, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for sure. Um, okay. So so you're working for the sheriff's department, and then you graduate high school, and right. then what happens? Yeah, I graduated high school, and then I went to um, the Ohio State branch my freshman year. And then the year after that, I actually relocated to Catawba and was working up there and went to the BG branch up there. So, oh, okay. But real quick, what we used to do after tennis practice is you were living on Sandusky, right? I was. And uh, we would go down, Nate Walton, there were a couple other guys that were on the team, and we would go down after practice and sit and listen to him shred. Oh, nice. For, you know. 45 minutes to an hour or whatever and we were all into you know we were all into music and everything so we enjoyed it but i didn't play guitar at that point i didn't okay but i grew up and i don't know if we're going to talk about this later but uh, you know my dad was in zeke back in the early 70s and my uncle was in the band and uh, everybody that was in the band uh, at that time you know when i was growing up i knew all those guys and so i grew up in a musical family but the extent of my musicianship at that up to that point was just plinking around on a G chord or a D chord maybe gotcha. and yeah didn't really pick up the guitar seriously until I was like a senior in high school and that's when I started you know playing all the time so. okay and maybe a little influence from Bill oh absolutely of that? Yeah. absolutely Bill you're such a good guy well, great influence it's on trends that are <laughs> it, it's funny that Tom mentions. Uh, the G chord. I have I have a really great story about how when he and I first began together about the G chord, uh, and I can share that with you later. It, it is, yeah, go it for is, it. What, what's the story? Well, yeah. Um, when we first started together in 1992, Tom was playing um, solo. It was a solo act, and and was beginning to get around and and get himself established. And he was playing the Finley Inn. One okay. evening, yeah. they had a they had a bar in the rear of the Finley Inn, and it was a very quaint place. And uh, you know, it was probably packed if there was thirty people in there. At least it. It was the it was the lounge. It was the it, bar area of the Finley Inn. Yeah, uh, is it still there? I think. Yeah, yeah it's. I don't know I've if been it's there. still called the Finley Inn but anymore. It but is. It is. It's it? nice. Yeah, okay. it's still sweet. Yeah. Well, that was uh, coming up on thirty years ago, and and I remember going to watch him play uh, at the Finley Inn one night. And he played one of the one of his great songs that he played back in that day was "The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald." Oh man! And it it was it was it was a very haunting uh, melodic uh, song, and and I just fell in love with the way that he played it. And I remember saying to myself, um, and it was in the I think it was in the winter time. It was early '92, maybe. Does yeah, late, right? it was either late winter or early spring, somewhere in there. Yeah. And I remember saying, I, he and I should get together and play because he's become very talented. So I don't know how it, it ended up happening, but later that summer in 92, uh, myself and, and Vic Kaler and Hank Hale and Brad Batten, Steve Lehman and Steve Dillon had an annual party out at McCarthy's Pond. And Tom and I somehow connected and said, hey, why don't we put some songs together for that for that party yeah. can okay. i stop you for a second Go ahead. oh yeah yeah because i remember that night when you came over to the finley inn and you were with hank hale and we started talking about because hank hale is a drummer oh and okay. so we started talking about doing something and hale was all about it and then he bailed out <laughs> okay on it okay and at that time i think you you had 
had an Alesis SR-16 drum unit. Yeah, you I had it. I had started a, working with it. Yeah, um, that was the famous drum machine, the Alesis SR-16. Yes, the, the, the oh, drum nice. machine. But um, Hank Hale was my eighth grade basketball coach. Yes, <laughs> Hank he, still plays drums. Does he really? He does. He he was every. There were twelve of us on the eighth grade boys basketball team, and he was our hero. He was. He drove like a Nissan Z. It was like the coolest car any <laughs> right. of us had ever seen, and he was just like this. He was older than us, but he was young and good looking, and we all knew it. And he was just like, "Yeah, Hank Hale." I think that's so a. Cool. I think that's a wonderful example of how young boys are easily impressed. Yes, yes. exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. So you're playing at the Finley Inn. Hank Hale is there. You're there. And Party's you... coming up in the summer. Let's throw a couple songs together. Yep. Yeah, so um, this party was in July. It was, it, the name of the party was The Deviation from Reality Summer Social, and I can't tell you who came up with that. It was probably Vic Kaler. Um, okay. Yeah, wonderful sense of humor. Anyway, Tom and I end up throwing about a dozen tunes together, and as, a, as I remember, they ended up becoming like stalwart songs they for the show. Been. There was uh, like, there were like three chords, right? So <laughs> yes. Uh, s- it, small town. Small town. I need a lover. Uh, probably some petty running down a dream. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the things that you had learned, and and you ended up kind of teaching me. And one of the things that that I figured out early on was that as much as I had played in my life, I played by ear. Yeah. And I had very little working knowledge of the guitar. And I remember a moment when Tom said, okay, we're going to do this song, and it's out of G. And I looked at him and said, (laughs) what's a G chord? (laughs) And he said, you're a moron. I've seen you play it a thousand times. I said, I don't don't know the name of it. He said, well, it's, it's this. And he formed the chord. And I said, okay. I said, did you know that you can play that G chord here, 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 and here on the guitar? He said, how could you possibly know that, but you don't know the name of the chord? So that was, that was my introduction to music theory from my partner. And, uh, and it wasn't very extensive, but it became very necessary because a lot of times, as you guys probably have to do, we're transposing songs. And so... Yeah. You know, if if you're transposing from the original key, then you know, well, well we're going to do this out of G, C, and you know, there's a B minor in the bridge and all this. Yep. You got to know what they're. You got to know what the fingering positions are called, or else it's so. <laughs> tough, but it, tough it, it, to it, play. Didn't, it didn't take long. No. Oh, Bill's a quick study for sure. Sweet. And so this party was at McCarthy's Pond. It Is was. that the pond that's on 115 that's still, I mean, obviously it's still there, but that's been there. I, I've always wondered when they built that. Yeah. That was it, there then. It was there for a long time. I think it, and uh, who the was throwing t- the party? Uh, well, it was uh, a collection yeah, give of- Give the uh, list of, of the cast of characters. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> the police lineup consisted of, of uh, myself and Vic Kaler and Hank Hale and Brad Batten, Steve Lehman, and Steve Dillon. And we were just six friends, and, and we would roast a, 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 a hog and, and get a beer truck and invite half of the county. And this was well before people began becoming concerned with liability. <laughs> and uh, yep. they were, those parties would go into the next morning uh, when the sun came up. And, but I, I, I think it, it was at that party that Tom and I put together about a dozen songs, and Believe it or not, 
people came up to us and said, you know, you two knuckleheads don't sound half bad. You should maybe think about it. You know, think about this. And luckily, um, most of the people there were heavily intoxicated, which became (laughs) it kind of became the mantra for Tom and I's 18 year career. The more you drink, the better we sound. (laughs) You have it. There you have it. It's a theme. Yeah. Nice. Okay. So, um, let me ask this question. How, what, were were you always nicknamed Fritz? Yes. Okay. Uh, that was a reference to, uh, Roan and Martin's laugh in, which was popular in the late sixties. And my dad called me Fritz, uh, from since I, when I, since I was born. Okay. Literally never called me by my, never (laughs) addressed me as Tom ever. Unless he was introducing me to somebody. But other than that, it was Fritz, 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 Fritz all the time. So, awesome. Yeah. yeah. So it's been my nickname forever. Okay. And kid? Yeah. Uh, that also comes from my tennis life. When I was a sophomore in high school, uh, I was uh, lucky enough to make the first doubles team. Everybody ahead of me on the team was a senior. So when you're the young dog on the team you have to do everything for the seniors as as you know so it was kid pick up the balls kid go get my racket kid go get me some water and it just stuck yep and i was kid awesome when it came time to figure out a name it became pretty simple well it did but we're getting we're moving along because i believe our next gig after that party or there very shortly thereafter was the alibi room and that started the whole alibi room run and i'll never forget uh barry behind the barry vital cheese you oh, yeah. guys know who oh, we're yeah. talking oh, yeah. about but for everybody else out there he had one of those lit signs that he would write on with the neon colored pen right above the bar. And the very first gig, or maybe it was one of the first two, but he wrote Fritz and Billy Guitar Latham. That's how, that's how. <laughs> so yeah. really that was your, that's your well, Yardbird story. And then, but then it was like something didn't, you know, right. that was hard to get on a business card. Correct. I don't know. Yeah. It didn't really sing. Didn't, so Yeah. So, I mean, it became Fritz and the Kid like real quick after that. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So the alibi room. What, oh, what, and what year was that a ballpark? Ninety two. Yeah, ninety two okay, was probably the, the fall of ninety two. Inception. Maybe. Would you guess we played? In, the party was always at McCarthy's. Was what like July or I, late? I can actually tell you uh, that was July tenth of nineteen ninety two. Okay, there you go. <laughs> that was our. That's first, why I knew Bill would be show. a good interview. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm going to guess that we ended up playing a gig at the alibi room that fall. I think yeah. we started humping on songs and, and putting tunes together. And yeah, in fact, I don't even know at first gig for a long time, I would open up and do like four or five solo songs for you to check the levels. And I don't for it was a period of time. We didn't really have enough material really to get through four hour show early on. But that changed quickly. Yeah. The early days, which which actually I was itching to get on stage. I'd always wanted to play out and, and just never had uh, an opportunity to do so. So when this came along with, with Tom, I was really excited. I mean, I was oh, I'm sure. really, really excited about it. And in the early days, Tom would always start out and we'd kind of ease into the evening. He had a great uh, list of songs that he did by himself. And, and he would do yeah, anywhere from four six eight tunes sometimes he would do a nice acoustic set yeah yeah to kind of ease into the evening yeah there was a time when i would do almost like a half hour yeah and he would do some songs without the drum machine just him and maybe his harmonica and then maybe right towards the end of that first set he would 
he would do a couple of tunes that he had programmed drums for for just him. And yeah, I was uh, the uh, de facto uh, sound man, and you know we would exchange information back and forth. Um, as for for those of you that don't know, and Tom will readily admit this, he is obsessive compulsive about the sound. Oh yeah, I'm sure. And, and I don't I don't level that as a criticism. No, absolutely. Not. I, I level that as as a compliment that was largely responsible for our 18 year run. People that came to listen to us, I think, enjoyed watching us, but also at the same time. There were some things going on behind the scenes that people didn't know about that made our sound unique and tight and uh, worth listening to. And it, that is largely responsible uh, to Fritz because he was so meticulous with the drums, so meticulous with the PA, and we didn't have a sound man. He was the sound man. So a, lo a lot of the things that made us uh, enjoyable to listen to fall on fall on him because I knew nothing about sound I knew nothing about the drum machine um, I played guitar and I had my own kind of little niche and everything else was uh, his doing so yeah. I, t I tell people this all the time the, the level of, su of success and, and and time that we spent together that we achieved was was in no small part because of his meticulousness if that's a word <laughs> Stop. I think it's good. I think it's good. Yeah, Fritz is blushing over here. Yes, I, I, I know. I mean, it's going to turn into a love fest, but um, no. I know. We, yeah. <laughs> and, a, a great story about the drum machine. Um, my favorite song to play in 18 years that we were together was Rosalita by oh, Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. It was a, a, a classic Fritz and the Kids song. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how many shows we ended with that song, uh, but it was a lot. And... I mean, I always have favorite tunes that I think back on that, that I loved playing live. Keep on rocking in the free world and uh, Watchtower. Uh, um, there were so many. There, there were so many songs. Yeah. But my favorite, obviously, was Rosalita. And that was a very complex song to play for both of us. Um, but I remember when Tom wrote the percussion for that song, he lived in Bowling Green in a very run-down, <laughs> dilapidated house because he and Amy were just getting off the ground as a couple and, and did not have much money. And I remember going up there to practice with him, and he was in this back room, and he told me that he spent two days locked in this room with cigarettes and chicken, chicken pot pies yes. <laughs> writing, writing the drums for that song. And they were so... Uh, they were unlike anything else I think he had written before or maybe even after. They were unbelievably complex but made that song what it was, full of breaks. And, and, and the interesting thing about the drum machine was there were songs that Tom and I played that he started them at, at point A and, and they ended at point B. And they were written and composed in that fashion. So if we fell out of sync oh, with right. a particular song, we were in trouble. Yeah, yeah. There were other songs that Tom wrote drums for that repeated. Yeah, and, and you could, could shut it off whenever you needed. He could to. hit yeah. a fill pedal, and and he could, we could run, we could run a breakdown by Tom Petty for twenty minutes if we wanted to. And sometimes yeah. I I played extended leads on songs like that. But Rosalita was a song that he wrote from point A to point B, and it was uh, easily 
his best writing with the drum machine in 18 years. Let's not get carried away. I didn't write the song. <laughs> no, you, no, you didn't write the song, but you had to sit down with those machines. And I, ha, uh, Fritz, have the drum machines come along? I'm sure they've come a long yeah. way, but. So, uh, yeah, I, I was actually going to ask that, too. So th this was 1992, 93? Yeah, 90, yeah. I'm and trying to remember the year because we started, we moved on because the deviation from Reality Party pretty much ended. And I don't know, maybe that might have even been the last year for it. I, who knows? But what happened, real quick, to kind of give some more background about the Alibi Room, at that point, when we started playing the Alibi Room, and we were, I was always a Springsteen nut and loved Mellencamp and all that and, and, and loved Petty and that stuff. Mellencamp was hot right then. Oh, yeah, sure. And he, I think by the time it was all said and done, we did it. Some Mellencamp songs fell in and out of the mix, but I would say we probably played fi at least 15 different Mellencamp songs. I yeah. mean, we almost became a, a Mellencamp <laughs> tribute band. Yeah. Band. And a ton of Tom Petty as well. And. A lot of Springsteen as well. A lot True. of Springsteen. True. <laughs> <laughs> the cool thing about Springsteen though was you that? did a lot of tunes by yourself. Thunder yeah. Road and and right. Uh, and then we ended up doing some songs together. Um, what was that? Um, yeah. I mean, literally, you just named like three bands that it, it, you're you, in Ohio. What was you're, the name of that? <laughs> what know, was the name of the Springsteen song? Was that it? Was uh, it was out of E minor. It was on the album that he's standing on the hood of the car. The river? No, not the river. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, see, I was we'll afraid this was going to happen. Atlantic but anyway, City. Here's Atlantic the, City. Well, we did. Because I remember you guys. We used did Atlantic, to Atlantic City, City too. Yeah. But has uh, got to credit clues, got to tell you. Oh, yeah. I'm <laughs> going now. Oh, that's right. The sky's been clear by the good old Lucky, Lucky Town. Town. Lucky, <laughs> Town. Yeah. Lucky Town. Lucky Town. Okay, yeah. I'm getting I'm getting off track. But the yeah. point of the story is is that when we started to take off and started doing regular shows at the Alibi Room, fortunately for us, the audiences that came there, which included a huge group of people, Jared Orians, Lex Orians, Deanna Dilly, the the Oni twins, uh Chastity B now, Kurt McMillan, uh, Kurt McMillan, Kent yeah. McGuire, Craig Bowes, um, Jim Johnson, Jim Johnson. Maybe you remember some of those guys. Oh yeah, I remember no, all yeah. those guys. They loved Springsteen yep. and they loved Mellencamp and and Tom the, Petty and Tom Petty. And the more that the more energy they gave us, and the more we would do those tunes. And and after we'd play a gig, we'd we always used to go back. We'd always go back to his place. And talk about the songs. How do oh, you yeah. think that went? We were some kind of a review. And boy, we ought to do this. And that was the energy. I think they provided us with a lot of energy. But the Alibi Room was so much fun to play in because it was so small. And 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 <sighs> often I often joke people would complain about how tight it was in there, but they loved it because it created an energy in that room. Yeah. But but the songs that we played. So Rosalita, back to that real quick. Uh, we knew that we started playing out at Bobby Fry's house. There was another another name, Bobby Fry, mm. and he when he lived on two ninety four, not where he lives now, but and and he started having us out there. We played one year up front, and then the next year we were coming back, and that's when we said we've got to put this Rosalita together, and that was the night we debuted our rendition of that song. Uh, nice, and they didn't know what 
to think because it was it oh, was pretty good amazing and, he, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and what was great i mean the drums are very complex and and in, in terms of any drummer that wants to play them live but when you're trying to recreate them on a drum machine i wanted to make sure that it wasn't you know a half-ass attempt at this song to where and that was always in the back of both of our minds. If we're going to come out with two guitars and a drum machine, and what are you going to do? Well, you want it to sound good, and you want those drums to sound as real as they possibly can. And so what that means is a lot of they were t the pads were touch-sensitive and all this kind of crap. And so consequently, what happened with that song, because there's so many time signature changes in it as well and so many fills and things like that, I really, once I got into it, I was like, I, I got to do it right or yeah. it's not going to be right. Yep. And so I did. I spent hours and hours and hours and hours and hours oh, and hours man. on it. But what was cool was, and if, you know, anybody that remembers the song, I mean, there's a huge saxophone running throughout mm -hmm. the entire thing. So that's where he did mm. an awesome job of playing all the saxophone licks and all the signature, yeah, all those signature saxophone licks were actually played on the guitar and um, it worked. They went nuts that night. I will never forget that. <laughs> we, we, I think we ended a set with it and, uh, and we got, we came off the stage which was a uh, you know <laughs> hay wagon or something which was perfect and everybody was like going what in the world was that and we it was a it was kind of a highlight of our nice of yeah. our night that we played for our people we knew that these people would appreciate that and um that was that was what was special about that crew yeah yeah we referred to them as, as the, the crew, crew. <laughs> and they are still those and uh the roadies dawn parcel yeah. And um, oh, um, oh, I'm having a, a layman. Yeah, Becky, Becky. layman. Becky yeah, layman. We, nice. They okay. would come to our shows, and they were our quote unquote roadies. And uh, you know, there were just a, a, this group of people that we referred to as the crew. And I, when I see one of them today, I still think of them as yeah. our crew. Uh, they were very supportive in our early days. We, I think, we owe a lot to that group of people because I think maybe among a lot of other things, we had a lot of fun with them, but I think they also, I don't know about you, but they, it was a shot of confidence because we always played for them and they seemed to enjoy what we did. And it, absolutely, it, it was, it was a reason that we were like, Hey, I think we're figuring something out here. Let's keep this train rolling. And, you know, it prompted us to try to continue to get better and continue to surprise them with new tunes. Um, if you're playing out live, you want to play music that people enjoy. Oh, yeah. That they want to yeah. dance to, that they want to listen to. Or can connect with. Yeah. Right. And while at the same time, uh, you want to play music that, you know, fills the dance floor. Because when girls are dancing, guys are drinking. And when guys are drinking, <laughs> the, the, the bar owners are happy. are happy. And then they say, would you guys come back? So, I mean, that's Tom and I kind of approach the business that way, that we, we want to play and I'll be frank, we, we, I won't be frank, I'll be Bill, but um, <laughs> we played songs that I, as, as time went on, I didn't enjoy playing them very much. Um, I, you, I, yeah, I, you can, you, well, how many gigs did you say? Well, Proud Night Girl. I, I think in 18, <laughs> yeah, in 18 years, I think we probably played, I've got it somewhere around 700 shows. Yeah. Wow. So. Do anything 700 times. Yeah. Right. You know. And there would, yeah, and there, yeah. Would be, there would be times when people would, we would play a song and, and people would come up later on the show and say, would you play this? And, you know, you always want to please the people that you're playing for. So sometimes we would play songs two times in the same night. 
but I, re- I remember thinking to myself sometimes if I, if I have to play Margarita Bill one more time <laughs> on the guitar, but but you know what? That's what people wanted to hear when we were at the lake. And it still and, it still holds true, you know, today for me with the band and everything like that. I mean, it, it's what you want out of it. If you want to play gigs and turn people on and make some money, then you got to play stuff that people want to hear. Yep. And people to this day will even ask me. They go, "Do you like the song Sweet Caroline?" And I go. I, I, it's hard for me to answer because what what that does for me what it does for me is different than what it does for somebody that's maybe a non musician listening in the audience. What I do, what I why I love that song. I don't know from a musical standpoint if I love it, but I see what it does to people, and I think that's what he's getting at too. There were songs that you play because we always tried to find the balance between playing stuff that people wanted to hear and what we enjoyed playing. And that's why that crew and that time period, 92 to 99, whatever, maybe beyond that even, was so special because we were playing stuff that moved us, that we wanted to play, that maybe we were listening to on our own radios or stereos or whatever, and they wanted to hear it. It was an amazing yeah. coming together of things, and that doesn't always happen. Agreed, yeah. yeah. And I would also add that uh, I think one of the ways that you get recognized is maybe being... a professional musician uh, on the bar scene is you can't tell the difference between the songs that I that we really wanted to play and the songs that we knew we should play oh right yeah um, I, I tried to you know have a smile on my face and play songs like Margaritaville and Brown Eyed Girl to the best that I could I, yeah, I didn't meanwhile really you're ju- listening to Van Halen at home <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah I'm listening to Joe Satriani and Eddie Van Halen and, and Neil Sean from Journey and, and music that we couldn't play together but um, the, there I guess the point I was trying to make was that there were songs during the course of a show that I really did enjoy playing and I I loved uh, playing them uh, Watchtower um, keep on rocking in the free world obviously Rosalita uh, there was a song by Mellencamp that Tom and I played together called what if I came knocking mm. and I, that was one of our <laughs> about that one that, that, that song had, that had some great dynamics in it and and Tom uh, did some stuff with that song uh, percussion wise it, it, it was phenomenal and there were just songs that moved me uh, playing and, and I mean that's a short list there were more but I, I think he taught me early on let's let's play songs that people want to hear we're, we're going to have the opportunity to play songs that'll move us and the idea of this is repeat business partner uh, yeah right we, we want to have yeah. the bar owner at the end and of more the night. gigs and more yeah gigs. <laughs> somewhere other places yeah <laughs> we want to have the bar owner say to us when he handed us back in those days you know 250 bucks when can you guys come back yeah right. and and you know that was kind of a i think that was something that we both uh, aspired to do and and we did have a lot of of repeat business and and business uh, by word of mouth and yeah because you never knew who was going to be in the audience and that's still true today i still find myself getting a position of somebody calls for a gig or whatever and it's like just never turn down work because you don't know who's in who's going to be there because one gig leads to a next to the next to the next to the next to the next and that happened for us a lot and we got to play a lot of backyard bashes which we could usually charge a little bit more money for, yep. and we could say and play and do really whatever we wanted to yes. do. So they were awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Did you ever play the Chili Party? Did you guys play the Chili Party once? Uh, uh, is that the one out? Manny Amosquita? Yes. We, They're we, not Manny. Uh, junior. Junior. Yeah. We played it one time 
I think we were we were in the lineup in the afternoon, and I remember you left the stage because they had he had a full full on pro sound yeah. concert level, and you walked out. I was, think. was that Kelly King that was running sound? I that don't day? think I don't know, but you went out and you I went. Did. Oh my gosh! We'd never sounded like that before. <laughs> yeah, we played through yeah. a couple eighteen-inch, you know, subwoofers and some fifteen-inch top boxes in the Alibi Room, not through. Uh, oh yeah, stacks. Uh, right, not concert level. Okay, so you mentioned how you got some confidence, and then, uh, then you guys. I mean, always played around here, but you guys took it on the road. Right. So what are some memorable trips that you guys went on? Well, real quick, it's like getting back to the one gig leads to another to another. I was doing I was playing. This was in 1993. I was playing every Wednesday night at Billy Bob's in Cary. And I was living in Columbus and I drove from Columbus to Billy Bob's every Wednesday night and played like a three or four hour show for seventy five dollars. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and Billy Bob's was out by the railroad track, right? No, that no. Billy Bob's is now was uh, what is now um, Splinters. Splinters. Oh, oh OK. Well, right. well, did it eventually move up that you go north on 23? That has been about eight different places. OK, right? that was yeah. something different. Yeah, OK, yeah. So at any rate, here's the point of the story. The the guy that owned that, his uh, partner's cousin knew a guy in Fremont. And so then I got a gig in Fremont at the bank bar. And when I got that gig up there, I said, hey, I've got a partner. Why don't I have, have come up? And we brought the duo up to the bank bar with Tommy, whatever his name was. And Tommy knew a guy that knew a guy <laughs> yep. that that mr ed and that's how we uh, got to oh, put in bay there and, it is and that was how it all started was was billy bobs to fremont to that was kind of a quick leap but we've had longer ones than that but that was the chain of events there that got us to put in bay yeah Fre- fremont was a, a very uh, good oh, city right. to us we probably played i think i counted once 13 different locations in fremont yes and there's a place called bud's tavern too we played at a yeah, <laughs> Bud's, Bud's Tavern in Fremont would be their version of the Alibi Room. It okay. was very much the same size, yeah. and we, we became uh, friends with the owner, and we played countless uh, gigs in there. And that, as Tom said, that, that led to playing the Depot in Fremont and, and the Eagles and, and the Rainbow Lounge. and Our first and only rain- bowling alley gig. Yes, a fight oh. broke out. Yeah, Ooh, a fight nice. broke out. At the great, had nothing to do with us. Great, <laughs> great story. <laughs> at, ask us about the fight at the Rainbow Lounge later. That's a great story. Um, but yeah, Fremont became a town that was really, really good to us, and, which was it was weird for me because that's where I was born and and I lived and I have family up there. So, and then that morphed into uh, Putin Bay and Middle Bass Island, and I and I think at our peak. Um, in 99, 98, 99, 2000, we were doing between uh, 55 and 75 shows a year. Yeah, I think we had 75 shows in 99. Yeah. It was Man. every weekend. I mean, we I, I don't think there was a month that we didn't play, but in 99, we played every weekend, May through October, every weekend. I, yeah. I know I know. I graduated in 95, so, so I remember you guys playing in the Alibi Room. And I, and I was underage, but still in, you know, we, we could go, we could <laughs> go in. No. Right? Yeah. Well, I, Barry just wouldn't serve you. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so of course, like, I, I remember you guys playing these bars around town. And then I remember as I got older and I got out of high school, I, I remember going to Putin Bay and, and other cities and, well, shoot, there's Fritz and the Kid again. Man, they just are everywhere. 
So yeah, you, the, you guys were playing a lot by the end of the '90s. We were, and and I it, the the Put in Bay experience. We were fortunate enough to find Mr. Ed's bar, which was right beside the beer barrel. Mm-hmm. And there would be weekends when Tom and I would go up on a Friday afternoon and play Friday night in the bar. Get up the next morning, move the PA out on their deck, mm-hmm. do a Saturday afternoon show from say three to seven, and next door to us were the Danger Brothers in the beer barrel. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. so there's this mass of humanity that we Daly. were, <laughs> yeah. yeah, and we were being exposed to people that had no idea who we were, where we were from. Sure, and then we'd play that afternoon show and and shut it off at six or seven cart the whole thing back inside and play another show Saturday night from a 10, <laughs> 10 to 2. And that bar would be bouncing back and forth with a couple hundred people in it. And I, I, rem- I can remember times when Tom and I would look each other <laughs> in a, a bar like that, and, and we'd, the place would just be going crazy, and, and we'd be having the time of our lives. And I'd say, can you believe they're paying us for this? <laughs> <laughs> Um, there was a sliding glass door that was right behind us that led out to the front deck. And I remember one show in particular that uh, there were people out on the deck dancing. And I happened to turn while he was playing a lead and there was some activity going on. Do you remember that? There was a young lady that <laughs> was do, at the window. I do. Yes. <laughs> some activity. And I had to uh, uh, get his attention and <laughs> check out that. So, yeah, it was, we'd look at each other and go, this is nuts. That yeah. happens in bands? <laughs> yeah. Yes. <Yeah. laughs> Uh, how'd you guys get up? Did you guys have a van or like a, what did you guys use to halt cart everything Once things started getting going, I bought a brand new Ford, uh, Econoline cargo van in 95. And that's what we were hauling everything in. And that's pretty much what we would, what we would haul stuff around it. Cause we were moving some pretty big speakers and racks and power amps and which there's a difference today that you didn't have back then with all the powered speakers and, yep all the Bose gear and all the stuff, which we eventually started using the Bose sticks. But, uh, yeah, we had a lot of gear. So, yeah, we'd get that we'd get on the ferry on a Friday afternoon. And, and when we played Middle Bass, we wouldn't get back. Because in a Middle Bass, we'd play Friday night, two shows on Saturday, I think, and then we'd play a show on Sunday. So we wouldn't get back to Upper until we'd leave on Friday afternoon and wouldn't get back till Monday morning maybe. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. And, uh, Working. Yeah, and I, it, it was fun. It was, it was, it, I'm glad we did it. But any more people go, hey, you play put in bay? I'm like, yeah, you know what? <laughs> Why? It was fun, but the, it was tough too because, you know, there we are on a Saturday afternoon and it's two in the afternoon or whatever and people are partying and having a good time and you got to, you know, you got to show in a couple hours. You got to show yeah. in a few hours yeah. and you, all of a sudden you've given up a whole entire week and you're thinking, I think the yard needs mode <laughs> and I got to do this and I got, so I, I don't want to take anything away from it. It was a great run. It was a lot of fun, but it was also a lot of work and we didn't, Oh, here's the other thing we should probably talk about too. We never knew where we were going to stay when oh. we were over there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Mr. Ed, who was great, uh, he had a house of his own and then he had the hotel at the time. The whole, the whole landscape has changed in terms of his place. Now it's not the same setup. And then, we stayed in some of the hotel rooms once, and then we stayed at his house a couple times. And then the bartender from the bank bar in Fremont, who we got hooked up, he was renting a house. We slept on the floor one weekend, and then we stayed at this other guy's house. 
<laughs> Should we tell the story? Oh, I don't please. Care. You can tell it. I'll, I'll tell the story. <laughs> and he was a super nice guy. He worked at Mr. Ed's. He was like a bar back bouncer guy. He was older than us. He was probably what into his sixties at that point. He had been in. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And and he has since passed away. So I, I tell this story. Um, may he rest in peace. But it, it's a classic Fritz and the Kids story. And we shared this with friends after it happened. And to this day, um, I, there's a there's a, a part of this story that people will repeat to me and crack up. Um, anyway, we fis- we finished the show and don't go into tons of detail. Just give them the. <laughs> can I tell them the bathroom? Well, you you got to tell them that. But yeah. Yeah. The, the PG-13 anyway, thirteen version. We. <laughs> We go back to uh, this guy's house, and it is unkept, uh, to say the least. Um, and the kitchen was a disaster. And, and he <laughs> he leads us to this room where we're going to uh, sleep, and there's a mattress on the floor. And I'm trying to get situated, and, and Tom goes to the bathroom, and he comes back in, and he has this deer-in-the-headlights look. <laughs> and he looks at me and says, kid, go into the bathroom. And I said, why? He said, just go into the bathroom. And I said, I, I'm why I'm I'm afraid. And he said, "No, you you have to go in the bathroom." So, I I proceed to go in the bathroom and I I walk in and it's very unkept. It's very unclean, and the toilet is black. And beside the toilet is a a bucket, and inside the bucket is a pair of dirty underwear <laughs> soaking. And I I I remember I walked back in the room and I looked at my partner and I said where are we going to poop? <laughs> I'm not pooping in there. I'm not sitting on that toilet. And and to this day, we've shared that story with countless friends. A good friend of mine, Marnie Hahn, who is the victim advocate that I worked with yeah, yeah. in the prosecutor's office for a number of years. Marnie loves that line and, and, and uses it frequently. Um, but that was, you know, life on the road, as we used to call it. Um, it, it takes you to all different places and situations and people. But um, not that we were Bon Jovi touring the no. nation or anything. <laughs> no. but, but yeah, but, you know, when you hand yourself over to the islands for three or four yeah. days and not knowing where you're going to stay, and you got to kind of roll with it quite a bit. It yeah, was fun. That's, I mean, that's kind of the other thing about we're playing on the islands is that once you're there, you're there. I know. I mean, there's yeah. no getting off at 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night after a gig and driving home and waking up in your own bed. I know. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're I, stuck. Just to keep things in context, we were a bar band and we were playing cover tunes. So, um, <laughs> yeah, right. But, but you're right about uh, Putin Bay. The, the one thing that we used to say to each other was people were very complimentary at the islands about our, our music yeah. and, and our thing. And people would say, you, you guys are unbelievable. I, I can't believe we're just watching two guys. And we, you know, always very appreciative of people saying that. Um, but they were intoxicated. <laughs> and and uh, I think that, that that led to our mantra. And and I, I remember a guy came up to me at a show at Mr. Ed's one time, and he said, "You are the greatest guitar player I have ever seen in my life." And I said, "That is so kind of you to say. Thank you so much." And he was barely able to stand. And I remember turning around to Fritz saying, "That was very nice of him to say, but he's hammered." <laughs> You are an excellent guitar player. Right? Well, thanks. But uh, yeah, uh, yeah, you do. You run into all walks of life, and mm-hmm. and and you're right. People are super complimentary, and it's just a, it's fun. It's Put, fun. Putin Bay's always always been a little bit of a uh, off the radar kind of fun too. Like it, it's never and really intended to be for everyone. I, I remember <laughs> we would say to each other, "I think we could play chopsticks up here," and people would think we're Led Zeppelin. <laughs> 
Yeah, I I I think that scene has even changed. I, I mean, it's still oh, a yeah. party scene, but I think it was a different scene even in the early two thousands. It was different twenty years ago. There, it, yeah. It's different now. It, it's a little more fratty now. Yeah. Than my it was my grandparents then. used to go up there, and, and of course the you know the ferry stopped running at ten o'clock. So if you didn't catch the ferry. You just found a bar that had an open booth, and you you laid there, you sat there in the booth until you you were drunk and passed out, and you slept in the booth. So, yeah, I, I remember uh, one of our island experiences was was kind of surreal. We were playing at Gem Beach the oh. the day oh, yeah. that the winery collapsed. Okay, oh, I was going to ask right. you about if you guys were up in that area at all. Didn't we come? Did did we come back from the islands? Like we did. Or did we go home and we ran back up to do that show? I was thinking that maybe we had come back from a gig on South Bass and we played at Gem Beach. I don't remember. But, yes, we were there, weren't we? Yeah, that was a, a really weird evening uh, sure. playing there. And we had never played at Gem Beach. At least I had not. I don't know if you did solo work there or not. But I, I had remember uh, I never played at Gem Beach before. And the night that that happened, the word spread quickly and there mm -hmm. were helicopters and life flights boats and, and everything and right. boats and everything going on and that was just a really surreal yeah because they all were headed that they all drove right past and we weren't down on the beach and all that those days are long gone we were they had a stage set up more for the marina or wasn't that a guy from sycamore originally that ended up owning that or was part partners yeah in that? yeah i remember hearing that but anyway they they it was a great gig it was it was a fun gig and they treated us well and everything but all of the emergency vehicles were just right there on the road. Whoa, whoa, one right after the other because they were right. headed to get on the ferry. Uh, real quick, I just looked it up. It was July 1st of 2000. So, uh, 2000. Oh, really? Yeah, that was in our uh, our heyday. Certainly, we were playing a lot of shows at that time. And, and it was it could have very well have happened on a weekend when we would have been just down the street at JF Walleyes on Middle Bass Island. Oh, Walleyes. Nice. Yeah. And yeah. we did a bunch of shows there. That's for where those we played people. on Middle Bass was Walleyes. Okay. Yeah. I, think, was, I think we did Hazards. Oh, yeah, we did a gig there, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> you guys go to West Virginia for a gig one time? We a, did. A, a wedding? We did. Well, this was tied to the crew uh, from the Alibi okay. Room days, and this was Jared Orion's, <laughs> Jared. Jared and Kathleen. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Jared uh, asked us if we'd come down and play, and we're like, absolutely. So, you know, we got the date and times and all that, and we headed out, and I think we traveled together, didn't we? I don't remember. Maybe we did. Did Amy go? Was it, Were we all... I don't remember uh, if she went or not, but anyway, yeah, you guys were the uh, other end of the spectrum. Was that was '96, by the way. I confirmed the date on that. Wheeling's in, in wedding, interstate. You guys were an interstate cover band at yes. that point. Somehow, we fell into a gig at Mackinac Island. Oh, tri-state, and, and traveled yeah. up there. That would probably would have been. Uh, it was early. Yeah, it was a guy that I had met while I was living in Catawba back in like '89, and he was a musician out of East Lansing, and we had kept contact and. He knew what we were up to, and he says, hey, man, I can't do this gig on Mackinac. I don't remember the name of the bar, but we were all excited about it. I had never been to Mackinac before, and I kind of envisioned a pretty big yeah. club and all this kind of stuff. It was not. <laughs> it's a he knew he <laughs> knew what he was turning down. Yeah. Uh, we were, so we set up, and uh, we started playing, and the guy, can you turn it down? I'm like, yeah, okay, can you turn it down? All, it's like, what? all we kept doing was turning it down i don't even remember what we played for like 250 bucks i don't even know it's a it long drive about, it's a six hour drive for, well yeah. it was it was all it was more about the experience of just saying that we did it i think and oh yeah for sure yeah i think at the time we both had on our minds 
how do we expand our market? How do we broaden um, our our base, so to speak? How do we, you know, create more gigs for ourselves? I don't know if you remember this partner, but we actually, in my apartment on the south end of town here, we created a demo tape. Oh yeah, we did. <sighs> does that exist still? Somebody has. I that? think it does. Yeah, I've got it somewhere. And I, I remember. We, but didn't we go down to Lanny's down in Marion, and he did did some stuff. We did some recording with him, didn't we? Uh, yeah, but I remember <laughs> we put that that demo tape together, and I took a weekend and went to Cincinnati. Oh. And dropped that demo tape off uh, to a number of bars in the the Cincinnati. Area. What do they call that down there? Over the Rhine? No. Uh, uh, the hill. Mount Adams? The hill. Mount Adams area. Yep. Yeah. I, I hit Camp, probably campus a, area. Half you probably weren't welcomed in no, Over you, the Rhine. You didn't go to Over the back Rhine then. 25 years ago. <laughs> so anyway, um, that produced uh, exactly zero gigs. <laughs> um, and I think the demo tape as a whole produced exactly zero <laughs> gigs, um, and, and which kind of proved to us that Word of mouth was word of mouth was the way we evolved, I yeah. think, and and became uh, broader in terms of geography. But uh, I, do you remember one of the songs that we put on that demo tape by a band called Toad the Wet oh, Sprocket? Oh, Toad the Wet Sprocket. <laughs> um, oh, nice. Something's always wrong. Yes, is that the one? Yeah, that was probably ninety four, ninety five. Yeah, we did some Toad. Yeah, and Rob Teal and I used to ride around and listen to Toad the Wet Sprocket. Oh yeah, and that, that was, red Ford Ranger of his. That, that was uh, Goo Goo Dolls. We did Gin Goo, Blossoms. Oh yeah, Goo Goo Dolls. We did a couple Gin Blossoms. We were hitting all that stuff was hot in the nineties. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. We uh, did quite a, a bit of Hootie and the Blowfish. Oh, speaking of that, yeah, it's funny you should mention that. Uh, yeah, we did a run on Hootie. In fact, I think we did five songs off of that album. And Crack review, yeah, yeah, yeah. There were great songs on that. Album. Yeah, and I think we chained like three of them together. Yeah, Hannah Jane, Time, and Only Want to Be with You. I think we would run, boom, 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 back to back. I remember playing those. Uh, we did a, a Nancy uh, Johnson's 40th birthday party out at Lake, out at Ellis Lake. Oh, nice. And I remember whatever year that we could probably figure out what year that was, oh, but yeah. I, we were doing all the hootie stuff. I remember specifically playing those out there, and we did a New Year's Eve at the TNT one night. I remember that. Nice, nice. Hey, uh, so let's take a quick break. This is going amazingly. So we just want to get a quick word in from our sponsors, which, by the way, we have made up. This episode of The Real Stories Podcast is brought to you by the Old Mission Church in historic Upper Sandusky, Ohio. Preserved from the 1820s, the Old Mission Church is the site of the Methodist's first Native American mission in the Northwest Territory. The structure has since been restored and displays many historical pictures, documents, and graves. In the summer months, you could catch a church service or even have a wedding performed there and maybe solve the mystery of Christina Hagg. Get to Church Street in Upper Sandusky, Ohio, and see a piece of history. Also, a special thanks to our historic sponsor, the Stephen Lumber Company, a bygone business from Upper Sandusky. As far back as the 1870s, citizens of Wyandotte County could meet their building needs at the Stoll Brothers Lumber Company. That lumber company was purchased by John Sheely in 1888, and Sheely was joined by Ed Stephen in 1898. By 1908, they had moved to their permanent location on South 8th Street. Stephen became the sole proprietor in 1911 before passing the business on to his sons, Paul and David Stephen. For the next 90 years, the Stephen Lumber Company was the place to go for building supplies and the milling needs of this area. 
The woodshop was used in the 1994 film The Shawshank Redemption and can be seen today as a museum to the same. And now, back to the show. Say say the name of the bar in downtown Portland. The Tin Goose? The Tin Goose Saloon. Tin Goose Saloon. I remember playing um, the Hootie Run a lot there. We There was a bar in downtown Portland called the Tin Goose Saloon, and it had French doors that would open on the front of the bar. And... When Tom and I would it's get still there, there, I don't know what it's called now. It's, it's still the it, same setup. Is that but, McCarthy's yeah. right there on the corner, like right as you're coming out of uh, the? It's not on the corner. It's okay. back a little bit towards the towards the viaduct or whatever, away okay. from Main Street, like just a couple doors down. I know it's it's st- I know it's there. It's yeah. something different. Go ahead. A great story from that bar. Um, Tom and I would get there, and we would have to move all of the tables out of the way to set up. And <laughs> they we, knew we were coming. And, yeah, <laughs> but they didn't when, care. When we would get there, like at uh, we'd play ten to two, and and we'd get there seven thirty eight o'clock. There would be people eating, dining mm-hmm. in there, and obviously you don't want to chase those people off. But eventually, Tom and I would stand around and look um, silly <laughs> for these people, and they'd eventually leave. And then the wait staff would not reseat at those tables. And then Tom and I would carry those outside, <laughs> set them on the sidewalk, and then set our PA up in the corner of that bar. And back in those days, um, Tom, I think, suggested to me that I should buy a, a Nady cordless unit. And Ooh, yeah. I, sh- I should go cordless. That way I could step out during songs, check the sound, interact with the crowd. It turned out to be a great idea and I, I did that except on one particular evening at the Tin Goose Saloon I got the bright idea that I was going to go outside with the Nady unit and I was going to walk around in the street <laughs> which, you, which you did do yes I did <laughs> Un- unfortunately for me there were some intoxicated patrons that followed me I and nice. I was like the, pie the pie p- piper, piper. <laughs> and um, as luck would have it, the chief of the Port Clinton Police Department was rounding the corner and saw a bit of that <laughs> exercise. And thoroughly course, impressed, we went back. Yes, <laughs> we went back into the bar, and shortly thereafter, we're we are playing, and we are in mid-song. And the chief comes in the front door, and he was he was very gracious. And I ended up talking to him about the fact that I was in law enforcement and and was you know in the work. But he came in and he he pointed at me and, and waved me over and I we never stopped playing I, I continued to play the song and Tom is singing and I'm playing my <laughs> rhythm part or whatever and the chief says over the sound of our music please don't go out in the street again with people that could be dangerous and I said yes sir that will not happen again <laughs> and I ended up sitting in his cruiser that night and having a really cool conversation with him and told him about my work and and he was very cool about it but uh we had some really neat gigs at the tengu saloon as as you remember we could turn two crowds in that bar in one night we would start playing at 10 and the 10 to midnight the 10 to midnight crew would be in there well then the jet the last crew would want to get off the jet and they're not anything to do they're not done yet they're they have some stamina and (laughs) And they've sobered up a little uh, just uh, maybe just just barely yeah so at 12 Twelve fifteen, there might be twenty people in the Tingu Saloon. At twelve forty-five, there might be a hundred. Yeah. So that bar would get crazy again for another hour and fifteen minutes. And what was fun about that was we could do our best material all over again. Oh yeah. yeah. And our best stuff. You which, could play well, Sweet Caroline two or three times that night. Yeah, well, that was actually a tune that we never did together. 
Oh, really? Which song was that? Sweet Caroline. Oh, no, we never did play yeah. that. But that, uh, that second window probably helped you get through the rest of the night, though, too, because because it, it's kind of like having a fresh oh, yeah. breath of fresh uh-huh. air come in and, yeah. and they're you're pumped and ready yeah. to go. You're spot on. And, yeah. and those people were revved up. Yeah. Um, literally, uh, one evening, um, a guy brought in a small uh, scooter <laughs> that you would you could ride on. And I'll you might not remember this, but I remember a guy came in with one of those and it was running. And in, in, like a gas scooter? You remember, yeah. Okay. Do you remember the, the song Jackal where the chainsaw is yeah. going off? <laughs> this, guy, this guy raised the scooter up in my face and revved it as I'm playing a song. And I must have looked like my life was flashing before my eyes because this guy was hammered. Yeah, sure. And then he put the scooter down, shut it off, and went in and got a beer for each hand. And it ended up being fine. But I remember uh, being. it was just, tight in there. It, it was. It was tight. There was no room to move. And, and and as as it comes with being a bar band, at the end of those shows at two o'clock in the morning, Tom and I would tear down, and then we would get all the tables and chairs and carry them back in. <laughs> sometimes with staff helping us, or sometimes not. And then we would drive home. He was living in Toledo at that time, or up by Toledo, and I was living here. And um, I, I remember the drives um, <laughs> from the lake, uh, from Port Clinton or Catawba. I, I would carve them up. It's 3 o'clock in the morning or 3.30. I would carve them up in sections, and I'd think, oh, well, I've made it to Fremont. <laughs> Fremont, Tiffin. Yeah, I've made it to Tiffin. I've made it to McCutcheonsville, and I haven't driven off the road yet. But, yeah, yeah. rolling home at uh, 4, 4.30 in Once the morning. Once you get to Scutch, you're back in Wyandotte County. You're good. Back, back right. in the Shire. But right. If the sheriff sees you by then, they know who you are. But, so. uh, yeah, those were, those were uh, great times. And we were making peanuts. Yeah. Uh, Tom was not. He hadn't started his teaching uh, career yet. He was going to school, and Amy was working. So Tom's job was was that of a musician. Yeah. So well, you guys were professional. I mean, you guys, I, and I remember you guys playing. Like you guys were good, and like you said, Tom was meticulous about the sound. You guys were never too loud, but you were always loud enough, and it it always sounded good. You guys were were fantastic you were the first local band that i knew and i and i you know graduating so, in 95 like i i knew you guys well you know it's interesting we'd have to check barry on this but barry vital cheese but i don't think they had had live entertainment in the alibi room for i don't know 10 years i don't 20? even know it'd been a long long time if ever somebody even said yeah but uh, he was a big part of Barry was a huge supporter oh. of us. He was a big part of what was happening for us. If it hadn't been for him, I don't know that things would have taken off, honestly. And uh, I'll, the couple, couple quick stories about that. I remember it was Christmas night, Christmas night, Christmas fell on a Saturday. <clears throat> I don't know what year it was. I guess we could look that up if we had to. But. We were like, what do you think about getting a hold of Barry and seeing if he wants us to come up and play this weekend? I'm like, heck. So I called him or you called him or whatever. And he's like, sure, let's do it. I'll get a sign out quick. And he always used to put a sign on the front door. And that Saturday night, it was Christmas night. That place was packed to the gills, stuffed with people on Christmas night. And probably the only place in town that was open. And, oh, you yeah. know, because we were like, this makes sense. Everybody's you know going to be done with all their stuff. It is a Saturday night. Yeah. I don't know if he was taking cover at the door, and this is the other another quick story I'll tell you. But he used to have some of his buddies take 
take a cover and he charged like two bucks and and we didn't play for the door but the more that came in at the door you know we had a minimum we were going to make but he'd give us extra if he had a good night and all this kind of stuff well um he started having steve yokum yep do the door and i'm going to tell you this about this guy <laughs> he was awesome at the door and he wouldn't let anybody slide by because even the, still places that have covered people are coming in oh, i know the band and they're always trying to slide by on two dollars right He's like, no, 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 you got to pay up. But if, if you know, if there were a group of a larger group of people that came in, or a group of five girls, or whatever, you cut them a break. So we played up there on an Easter weekend, and um, total amount taken into the door, I don't know, but he confirmed it, and I believe him because he would not make this up. He would be on it, right? Somewhere in the neighborhood of two hundred and fifty people paid through the door that night wow. to go into the alibi to go in the alibi room <laughs> about as big as this that's yes. crazy <laughs> yeah no obviously i mean that speaks to people in, in and, and out, and out in and that out. kind yeah. of stuff but over the course of the night 250 people in the alibi room <sighs> where Man. were they all i don't know but it was, it was packed there was, was only yeah. eight bar stools I think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know i think to to another way to toot barry's horn is I, early on that was our place to play that was kind of home for us and thanksgiving eve turned into oh. and, and you guys uh, brian and, and graham you can kind of back this up i think thanksgiving eve for a number of years turned into a really special night for tom and i because we did the alibi room for years um on thanksgiving eve and then how when, long how long we did that for did we because then we went to mugsy's after yeah. very close but yeah yeah, yeah and then 93 to t i don't know it was a lot of years thanksgiving it, eve it was always the bit that was the biggest night in upper yeah i always thought thanksgiving eve the night all the college kids were home the night before uh, everybody uh, was just home the night before easter was always a big one too yeah because it was a saturday night yeah so yeah same and for the same reasons all the college kids came home and yeah my mom used to, uh made a gave us an ultimatum that if if, if we were hung over at another thanksgiving dinner uh Telling her we just take it to go. Like she was not I'm done cooking. I'm not making a turkey anymore if you guys are gonna come hungover. It's like Fritz and the kid are so good though. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, however many years it was before Barry uh, closed the bar and then uh, Mike Meeker had us come down to uh, MJ Muggsy's and we did years of Thanksgiving Eves down yeah. there in the front of the bar and and those were those were really good times. Uh, yeah, uh, we hear my stories. brother and sister-in-law are, are married because of you guys. That uh, uh, Jim and Jen Rulin, <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> they met at your show. Began their relationship at a Fritz and the Kids show uh, at MJ Muggsy's. Yeah, so there are, are, there's a lot of great stories. There are a lot of great relationships, but I'd also like to mention that we played a lot of weddings. And if you look back on our track record, <laughs> it's, it's not, that not great. good. <laughs> right. Well, Jared right. and Kathleen are still Jared together. and Kathleen <laughs> might be the only ones that are still together. And uh, Brian. Uh, from Kerry Musgrave, no Brian. Uh, sorry, Brian. Hack Brian Hackworth. Hackworth. Yes, Brian. <laughs> sorry, you left me for a minute. Brian and Kelly. Yeah. Sorry, other Brian. than that, I just heard of somebody the other day that what Splitsville, and I don't remember who it, it was. was. We did the reception. We did the reception. Yes, Whoops. we're nice. like yeah. Well, we're like two for twelve. I mean, 12. I don't think I don't, I don't think you're responsible for any of that. <laughs> two so. for twelve. Yeah. It's a numbers game at a certain yeah. point, right? You, you can't win them all, right? <laughs> Can we go back for a minute and talk about Zeke? Uh, and uh, you, that's your dad. Your dad was in Zeke, right, Tom? Yes, yes. He was the rhythm guitar player. And my uncle, Bruce Muhorder, was the drummer. And, of course, Danny Vaughn was the lead singer. I just saw Danny a couple weeks ago. I did a gig out at the Steer Barn, and he, he showed up. It was good to see him. 
Uh, Larry Till was the original bass player. Mark Strasser was uh, on guitar, and uh, Jim King was a bass player. What did I, what did I say? Did I say Jim, that right? Jim is, uh, I think so. Oh, Jim is Miranda's dad. Uh, but Larry, was, Till was, Larry Till was on keys. But what wasn't it Eric King's dad? Yes, that's Eric's dad. It was Eric's, dad. Eric's okay. dad. So when we did the Zeke reunion thing uh, in 2008, I think it was, yeah, I filled in because my dad passed in 04, and I'm not sure when Eric's dad passed. Um, yeah, uh, but we filled in for them, and uh, that was a that was a really cool night for a lot of people in Wyandotte County who oh, was remember amazing. what yeah. was you know. And I when the band the band only lasted like three years or something like that. It wasn't very yeah, long, but it didn't take long then. And, and you yeah, know? And things were different back then too. I mean, they, they and they were. I remember as a kid, I was maybe you know three or four. I don't really remember going to any shows. They got the uh, Cedar Point gig uh, where I remember seeing pictures, and I have vague memories of staying up at Cedar Point. Oh, you mean like they were they the were summer the house band? Ba- well, I don't know if it was the summer or they did a couple weeks there or, or what it was, but we stayed at at Cedar Point for uh, a couple weeks or whatever it was in the hotel, and they played in oh, whatever yeah. ballroom that may or may not even be there anymore, but. Um, but yeah, the band really didn't last all that long, and which was kind of interesting. But things were different back then, and they did the Battle of the Bands and traveled down to North Carolina or wherever it was. And uh, yeah, a lot of history with those guys and a lot of great memories. And then when we did 08, it just was very interesting to Super see cool. what it meant to everybody that uh, came out to hear and see the guys. Because Mark Strasser, I think Mark Strasser commented this was the, in, in 08, it was the second time he'd been back to the state of Ohio since 1975 or something like that. Wow. He oh, just, wow. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, continuing down that nostalgic road, Mark Strasser was an, an idol of my brother back in the, the early to mid-70s, and my brother was in a band called Jake okay. with, with yeah. Barry Bital Cheese's older brother, Randy, who was oh, a, yeah. it, it turned out to be a very accomplished that's, that's musician. Marcy's, yeah. Marcy's dad. Marcy's right? dad, yeah. Yes, and uh, the bass player in that band was was Tom Burns, a local guy, and then the drummer was John Gamber. And they practiced in our basement at, at our home here in Upper. And I I remember my, my brother um, wanted to be like Mark Strasser. He, 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 you know, just loved the way that he played. And those, those guys wanted to be Zeke. Uh, they aspired to be as good as they were. Sure. And... Um, there was a teen center in town back at that time. Where was um, that? It, it is. It was where the the health department is now in that area. Oh, okay. Oh. There was oh. a building right next there. to the prosecutor's office. Yes, was right next yeah. to where the, the prosecutor's alley. office is now. Okay. And uh, Zeke would play shows in there, I think, and and my brother and his friends in the band would go up and watch them, and and they, that's who they wanted to be. Zeke was uh, in their day phenomenal. Great story about. Zeke that Tom's father told us a long time ago. Do you remember the story about the PA system on the Battle of the Bands down in Georgia? Oh, yeah. Um, Tom's father told us this story. Zeke went to a Battle of the Bands contest, and I think it was in Georgia. Um, it could have it, it had, yeah, down south there somewhere. It was probably uh, 73, 74 in that time, and they were very, very good. And they had a one of the top-of-the-line PA systems at that time. And they played their set and a group of guys came up to them and said, hey, we really enjoyed you guys, and we would, we were wondering if we could borrow your PA 
to play our set. Uh, and apparently, I don't know who was running the band at that time, but collectively, your dad and Strasser and the guy said, you know, it's pretty pricey and pretty expensive, and, and we don't think so. Yeah. Uh, the guys that apparently asked them to borrow their PA was a, a group of guys called ZZ Top. <laughs> <laughs> So awesome. probably a slight error in judgment instead of opening for ZZ Top. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. But uh, t- yeah, Tom's. Oh, those guys probably look sketch too. It's like <laughs> these guys. Right. Yeah, right. I don't know, man. Only short beards at that time. <laughs> right. Right. Baby beards. It was probably shortly thereafter that Tush and Lagrange uh, came oh, out yeah. uh, on their one of their first albums. I heard it on the X. Those some of those old classics from ZZ Top. But uh, yeah, great story. Oh, that's awesome. Tush was so good too. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. Well. Uh, you know, anything else you guys want to add? I mean, we've been at this for an hour and 15 minutes now. That so. hasn't been that long, has yeah. it? Yeah. Wow. I mean, we. I, I knew that we would be able to go and go and go. I literally haven't even asked you guys any questions. <laughs> Fire away. <laughs> Fire away. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, honestly, I think everything that I was going to ask you, you guys have said. Uh, what, what was your last gig? We did a show at... I think it was the Wyandotte uh, Hospital Comedy Night. I think it was. We did that oh, for a number of years. Yeah. In 2011 out at the uh, the fairgrounds in the new building. And, um, yeah, we did uh, – we had a lot of fun <laughs> with those comedy nights. Those were fun. Yeah, yeah uh, they sure. We did those for a number – we did those for a long time. And we always yeah. asked to – we had to go out and do a photo shoot with Renee Sherman and Ann Kemmerly, and that was always a hoot, and they were fun. Yeah. And we were, we were ornery and – didn't behave very well when no. they wanted us to. And no. <laughs> nice. No. Yeah, that's uh, uh, the uh, we've played the hospital. We've played that uh, show before, and it's fun. Uh, we first time we played it, we thought no hospital, but actually they 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 got they had fun. They had a lot of fun at those things. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those were always uh, a good time. Yeah. So 2011 was the. It's been 10 years. 10 years. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. You know Tom's Reunion? new band. Um, I was fortunate enough to play two or three shows with them uh, a few years ago. Did a show at the Elks, did a show at Private Party, and we played. Yeah, I'm trying to remember all that because we did the Hannah's House, uh, the Fritz and the Kid reunion. Correct. <laughs> Which was very flattering, very flattering, but, uh, um, you know, I don't know. It was, it was very flattering. I didn't want to be too pretentious about it. It was fun for us, but it's like – Thanks. We're not that big of a deal, but you know we appreciate it, right? And and, and we really do. Uh, it does mean a lot to us that that people supported us over the years, and it was very flattering that that whoever came up with the idea or started kicking around the idea that they wanted to do something like that. And so when we first started talking about that, you know, he approached me and said, "What do you think?" And and I immediately, it wasn't the idea of it that bothered me. It was more of, "What are we going to do about the equipment?" <laughs> And I started having angst over these drum machines that I literally hadn't touched. Not that they didn't function, but, you know, I hadn't touched them in, in a long time. And uh, You don't have two days now to set, uh, set yeah. in your basement and get Rosalita back. <laughs> they have set a wrong date. This was 2016, wasn't it? Sounds about right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, of course, the band had, you know, Big Red Deluxe had been playing at that time, and I had been doing a lot of solo stuff and... and and a lot of those songs, which are just great, great tunes that we used to do, I didn't remember half of them. My right. gosh! And <laughs> and the drum machine, there were little, you know, when you're in it and you're doing it every weekend and it's fresh, uh, yeah. you know, and all these little nuances of changing tracks and moving this over here and starting and stopping songs and all that kind of stuff. 
once you hadn't done that for, you know, six, seven years or whatever it was, I had forgotten. So I started kind of freaking out about it and thinking, I don't know that it's going to work. And then I said, well, why don't we do this? And this is how it came about with Hannah's house. And I don't remember who we were negotiating with or talking to. But, <laughs> uh, I said, why don't, and I said something to the band. I said, why don't we, ha why don't you guys book the band for the, sh for the night? And then we'll do a set yep. of our, you know, our white album. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so we decided to come up with you know whatever songs some of our favorite ones to do and then like isaac jumped on the drums and for certain tunes and then you know maybe i don't i don't remember exactly what the set list was i think i've got it yeah i've got I think, it somewhere. i think joe played bass with us as well yeah so basically it was the band and and uh well, I'm just going to pull up the tunes. You keep talking. Yeah, good. So uh, anyway, we we practiced uh, down at Tom's where uh, Big Red Deluxe practiced, and we put together some tunes. And it, it's a credit to Isaac Orians, what an incredible musician oh, he is. To, to think of to yeah. think that Isaac started out as a drummer, yeah, and has evolved into the singer and guitar player that he is today. Is, is and even the way his voice has evolved over the years, for sure. Um, he he can sing it all. I mean, he can. He has a great range. He's, I mean, just a brilliant guy. I remember him sitting in Matt, Matt Marshall's basement when they first, when he first started playing. He was a drummer and with I Marble. Remember, I think uh, this it, was, is it. it was man. We could do an episode on Marble. It was before Marble. It was. Oh, okay. uh, it was Brace. We played. They, oh, they played okay. a Battle of the Bands in uh, Finley, at, and that's why they they yeah. were practicing at Matt Marshall's house, and and Isaac was just learning how to drum, and it was. It was a struggle to watch because he he wasn't any. I don't want to say he wasn't any good, but he you know he hadn't. Yeah, he's in high school. Played. Yeah, so he's well, amazing. He's amazing. He, he really is. <laughs> he is. And he yeah. was he was a big part of the Zeke reunion thing too, because um, there was um, one of the McKee brothers was filling in on guitar at the time, and that that whole that whole uh, Zeke reunion show was is another podcast in, in itself, but. Um, Isaac came in and really covered a lot of things and just, you know, with his connection, yeah. not only with me, but with the, with Larry. I mean, he's Larry Tull's nephew, nephew. and, and yeah, all that right. kind of stuff. So he was great. Anyway, if if I might, here's this. this So this was the set. These are the songs that we did in 2016. So basically the band, the ba it was the band backed. The band was the backing band, and then we were kind of out front. Um, we did 3 a.m., which we, oh, we opened. Oh, yeah. By a Matchbox Twenty, we we I think we opened, I don't know how many shows. It, it in my mind, ever since we learned that, we always opened when when we played, whether it be the lake or wherever it was. We o always opened with three a.m. Yeah. Before that, we opened with Billy Joel. Really? <laughs> do you remember? I do not remember that. We opened with Billy Joel. What Billy Joel song? Uh, you may be right. Yes. Oh, uh, okay. No, what song? No, you know, you know. Okay, hey so no. then we did uh, "All Summer Long" by uh, Kid Rock. Oh yeah, and then we did "Million Dollars" um, by the Bare Naked Ladies, which was always on the set list. "Rambling Gambling Man," which is a different version. Mm. "Can't Get Enough," "Bad Company," "Keep on Rocking in the Free World," Neil Young, "Wanted Dead or Alive," Bon Jovi, "All Along the Watchtower" by Hendrix, "Running Down a Dream," uh, "Play Guitar" by Mellencamp, which uh. was one of our maybe "Small Town" might have been the first Mellencamp song, but "Play Guitar" was real early too. Yeah. yeah. I'm going down by Springsteen. That was always one. Mary Jane's Last Dance, Rain King by the Counting Crows, Smooth Santana, You Wreck Me, another Petty song, Blister in the Sun, Rock and Roll by Zeppelin, Rock and Roll All Night by Kiss, Breakup Song, Greg Kinn, Summer '69, Jenny Jenny, 
and I think that was it. And then you joined us on. Then the whole then Isaac came back up, and we all did any way you want it by Journey, Blue Collar Man by Sticks, Never Been Any Reason by Head East, and we closed that night with It's a Long Way to the Top by ACDC. So that was nice. I thought Dude, that was what a set man. that was fun <laughs> was awesome. for him because. These are the songs that, you know, some of the sticks in the journey and all that, he cut his teeth on, but I could never sing. Yeah. <laughs> so we never played the songs. Yeah, yeah. right. I, I could tell you, but my playing with his band, uh, Any Way You Want It and Blue Collar Man, I sat down for a couple of weeks before I played with them, and I learned Neil Sean's uh, guitar work on Any Way You Want It, note for note, and played that lead tried to play that lead uh, as Neil did and then Blue Collar Man Tommy Shaw has a, a rather intricate lead in that song as well and I ended up writing my own taking some some chops and some positions from from what he did in the song and uh, it, it worked out um, but I, I really enjoyed playing those types of songs because they, they were just they were too much for us back in the day well they weren't yeah they weren't anywhere in my vocal range or anything like that yeah and so it was you know, to try and that's the other thing too we were always very cognizant of was we didn't take anything on that was beyond what we could do i mean we were limited already so you know i think we played within our abilities so to speak he could play anything on the guitar but i was it was me that was i yeah. think i was holding us back <laughs> <laughs> You know, well, you, I could only sing so much. That's why we did the Hootie stuff. We did like ten Hootie songs. You can hear, I, I'm, right, I'm in that too. Yeah, I, yeah. I can sing Hootie all day. You know, it's funny. Tom goes down that set list, and uh, there were a couple of songs. Rain. I remember Rain King was a song. Oh yeah, that I counting just counting crows. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I, I, that was a song that Tom would call that out. And say, let's let's do counting crows, and I would the hair on the back of my neck would stand up. That was just, I don't know why it was, but that was one of those songs that I thought the way he arranged it and, and the way that we did it was just one of those songs that I thought, you know, if, if somebody's going to put their beer down and look at us and say, wow, that's, that's really tasty. It, that was, that was one of those was handful of songs. You know, it, it was very much like, like Rosalita. Um, it was just one of those songs that I thought the way that we did it, I, I I was always really happy with it, and it was one of those songs that I would get kind of. I know we would get about songs coming stage. up that we would get excited about, but I don't remember if that had a lead. I mean, I know you played a lead in it, and he would do this a lot. He would, there might be a song that didn't have a lead break in it, or and you, he would he would create it and and yeah write a lead for it. And you could he could pretty much play anything on the fly. What key are we out of? I got it. I'll, I'll do anything. But I know he liked to have something, especially for songs like that, something consistent that you would play over and over again, not just wing it every time. Yeah. There were songs where I would actually write the lead note for note. And, and that was one of them where I was, I don't know that I would say proud, but I was really pleased with what I figured out for that song. And I, I can remember you know that song would approach the lead break and i would stomp on the volume pedal to to give my guitar a boost and and i would get uh that was a fun song to play mm -hmm. for sure and i really enjoyed the way that one that one came off uh total it was just a one of those great songs that i think we did together that sound his vocal sounded great um the drums were awesome and it was just a great song back at that time that people really enjoyed. The Crows sure. were yeah. very popular. I thought you guys yeah. were really always very good at it. You you had your classics, 
that you were playing for the crew, but you guys always were playing songs that were current. You know, there was a couple. You, you they were always in there. Yeah. Without, and again, and Tom, we started to mention this before we went on air, but you know, you guys were doing this before you just pulled it up on Ultimate Guitar Tab. Yes. <laughs> you guys were learning these songs, like listening to them and learning these songs. Right. Unfortunately, some of the tunes were they're you know they're pretty basic in terms of their chord structure so that wasn't that wasn't too bad but i used to buy a lot of song books that's what you yep. did you bought a you went and bought elton john's greatest hits or i have a jimmy buffett book or a springsteen book or whatever it might be and you go oh those are the chords in there and but when youtube came along that's how i learned the intro to i remember going out to seeing some guys playing the intro to uh bon jovi wanted dead or alive i'm like how what do you do and i remember that was one of the very first ones i found on on youtube and and learned it now we we dropped it yeah <laughs> what, we, what we don't we don't we did not play that out of the original key the original key's not. out of d and we actually played out of a so we dropped it but it just so happened that you know for any of you guitar players out there <laughs> if you the fingering is the same fingering and picking except you just up two strings so it, we got lucky because there's certain songs that you know that intro is so uh it's such a key signature part of that song that if you didn't play it with the intro it's like where's the intro well i can't sing it out of d right, right. <laughs> and, and you know there there's a good example of when Tom would pick a song, and, and I wanted to speak to that a little bit. Song selection is big for bar bands. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're in a band, and you know that. The songs that you play matter. Yeah, and, you, and can't, how you, pick you can't songs. just play the songs you love. You right? know, Tom was, you gotta... and I would say probably of the songs that we picked, Tom probably picked, I don't know, four out of five at least. But he was always really good at picking songs out of thin air that say, hey, we should try this tune. And it was rare that we had a song that didn't work. Yeah. I mean, maybe one out of ten songs, we would play it a few times out live, and he'd look at me like, you know, what do you think? And I would say, yeah, I don't, I don't know about this There was this stuff one. we dumped, I'm sure, along the oh, way. I yeah. don't remember what we dumped. But, but it, was, it was rare that he would pick a tune that, that didn't work for us. But the, what I was going to speak to you about Wanted Dead or Alive is that, you know, we would change the key, but that was a song where Richie Zambora wrote a lead that was very recognizable. Mm -hmm. And I would try to copy as much of that lead as possible so that it sounded like them. Sure. And then there were other situations where, like Tom said, there wasn't a lead at all, but I would write one. Or maybe the song had a lead, but maybe I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't pull it off, uh, maybe because of technique or... It was a little bit too quick for me, or whatever. So lack I would of talent, write, just pure just lack of talent. pure lack of talent, exactly. <laughs> so I would kind of improvise and write something else, but um, that was kind of fun that we were flexible in that regard. That I was I was good enough to copy some stuff almost note for note, and then other stuff would improvise and it, it flew. You know, I argue it was a it was maybe the last great time for music. There, I just said that. Uh -oh. And what I mean by that, <laughs> and what I mean by that is, you know, because I was having a conversation with somebody the other day and they said something about the 90s just sucked. I said, Are you kidding Whoa. me? The 90s was awesome for music. And that was the thing about, and, 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 I, and I guess I say that because as an acoustic guitar player and, and 
so many of those tunes are acoustic based or written on acoustic guitar and they're so melodic when you're talking about counting crows or the gin blossoms or toad the wet sprocket or um, um hootie and hootie all the, yeah all that stuff and uh sister hazel sister hazel uh, yeah yeah we did a we did a whatever uh sister hazel song all for you all for you all for you yeah, yeah. and we I, it was an awesome time for that kind of music that 90s the 90s and so it wasn't hard because we i mean it was it, it was hard at times but it was easy because there was a lot to choose from a lot of really nice melodic sing-along songs that fit the acoustic and the electric guitar at the same time so yeah and we would try to hit some of those songs when they were hot sure and tom would hear a song and say we can do that. Sister Hills is a great example. Yep. Uh, All for You came out. And, and that's like, a good oh, song. That's a great jam. We should try that. And yeah, we'd put it together. And you know, you knew when you had something because people would get up and dance or people would sing along with it. Well, and, and Graham's right. Uh, you know, you guys being a, a quote unquote bar band or whatever you want to call yourselves, it, you were one of the first bands that I knew that were playing music that that I knew well, be, because it, I heard it on the radio that I listened to not necessarily all because, because I did like Mellencamp and Bon Jovi and, and Springsteen and all those bands too, basically because I grew up as the younger brother of some of the crew, you know, or with the younger brothers of the crew. Right. So I was exposed to it for sure. Right. But we also had our own music. And and when you guys started playing that stuff, you'd, we'd hear it at like Putin Bay. We'd hear it in at TNT or not TNT, but Muggsy's, you know, it was great to hear, Modern songs played by bands that that were good that we were listening to live. You know, people would come up to us, Brian, every once in a while and say, uh, and, and a lot of times it would come from musicians. They mm -hmm. would say, "Oh, you guys are uh, really good, but uh, you got any original material?" Oh yeah, yeah. And in 18 years, uh, and this was early, we wrote one original <laughs> tune. But but half of what you played was original material. Be they just didn't recognize it right, because right, it was right. another song. Right, but. <laughs> We wrote one song together and played it out briefly at the Alibi Room for the crew, as I remember, maybe <laughs> and it was three very, or four times. Uh, Bell and Camp inspired, I it, think. It too. was. Oh yeah, uh, Bill, you've played that song for me before, I think. Have I? Or you, you, you sung, you, you told me the lyrics at least, Michigan to West Virginia or something. Oh well, that's no, a that's a no, that's another tune that I wrote just here just a couple of years ago. But oh, okay. We wrote this probably twenty six, oh, yeah, right. twenty seven years ago and played it out a few times, and it was. It was D, kind C, of a, D, and E minor, I'm pretty sure. Yes, it was, uh, <laughs> it was a simplistic, and, and uh, we played it out just a few times. But we understood, I think, early on as a bar band that that's how you turn people on. You play music that they know, it sure. moves them. Yeah, they, um, they didn't come there to discover a new band that, and i'm not knocking anybody you know, that, that writes original material in no way no, I'm absolutely. Not, i i've written original material and i enjoy playing it at home you know and i've done some recording and and that's fun for me now but i it, it, tom's right early on he said it's about what you want out of it and back at that time what we wanted out of it was money <laughs> and, and and fun and repeat. It wasn't all about money because no, we it, played some really cheap we, shows. We so did. I mean, it was about turning people on. It was. It, 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 and we it, were that, getting turned it's addictive, on. Too. Yeah, I probably, put the, I probably put the money uh, up too fun. It was about turning people on, having fun. And it, but we didn't it do was, it for free. Playing shows. It was a part time and, job. And at least breaking even on a weekend. Oh, if sure. Nothing else. Sure. Yeah. yeah, we played some shows where we were not making a lot of money. Yeah. But it was about 
free and you get free drinks and you know yeah. and then and then like tom said it might lead to a gig where you're gonna countless times yeah it, it led to more work yeah i mean j- for those of you listen these guys didn't didn't drive porsches here they're, they're, <laughs> <laughs> this was not a million dollar activity that uh you guys did in the 90s and 2000s you know, when you bought the van in 95 do you remember what you drove for a year or two before that the pickup <laughs> oh that that, that old beat up that pickup. That old white pickup. Yeah. Yeah, it was a Ford old F one fifty that I drove and that with a cap on it and you had to crawl in the truck to get the stay out was a pain in the rear end. <laughs> oh. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So we used to say they didn't pay us for playing songs. They paid us for setting up and tearing down. <laughs> right. Because that that's was still the true. work. That was yeah. the work. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well guys, it's now we're at an hour and a half now. So wow. uh, hey now. Um, I thank you guys for doing this. Okay. Uh, it's been big fun. Thank you. I, seriously, I feel like we could uh, I have to stop us or else we would just keep going. <laughs> I, I can I can change the subject real quick and and give us a good note to go out on. Okay. Um so so Bill, there is something I I do need to tell you. Um when I was a sophomore in high school, I got a curfew violation. And you were my probation officer. I was one of eight guys who was leaving town. It was 11.02 on a Sunday night. Uh, we all got 30 days, 9 o'clock probation. Um, I left and went to Canada and didn't tell you, and I'm sorry. And <laughs> <laughs> Violated his probation. I think the statute of limitations is up now. Yes. It's been 27 years, uh, but I, I just wanted to t- get that off my chest. You well, know. Anecdotally, I would offer this. Uh, first, you should be ashamed of yourself for not telling me. And secondly... Um, I was four and a half years in juvenile probation, and I will add you to the list of the countless failures that I had <laughs> while well, in that you. vocation. Uh, I was not very good at my job. That's why I went full-time to the prosecutor's office in 94. Um, yeah, probation was not my shtick. So. It was 90, I think it was 93 when that happened. Yeah, I was yeah. 90 to 94. So, um, well, Brian turned out okay. So yeah, I guess. He seems to be doing yeah. okay, yeah. I did, All right. I did fine. No credit to me. Bill, <laughs> love you. Appreciate you. Absolutely. Uh, thanks fun. for coming on. Tom, yeah. admire you. Awesome. Thank you very like, much. Yes. Uh, thanks, Tom. You know, it's just great to have you guys. And uh, everybody, that's, uh, that's a wrap with uh, Fritz and the Kid on Real Stories Podcast. All right, so uh, my favorite part of the show here, Brian, a little little fact history check yeah. on this show, and uh, you know, this show's running long, so we won't, we you know, we we won't spend too much time here. But well, let's face it, if you've stuck around this long, you want you're know. probably still interested, <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know, yeah, the, the you know a lot these guys were good at dates. They yeah, I, I looked some stuff up, and they they knew when they were talking about. I mean, if you don't know Bill, Bill's brain is a steel trap it, it was like it was like being yeah that one he actually had what was a july 10th of he remembered it, he the, remembered the exact date and i'm not yeah. really sure how how he did that but um because that's how bill's mind works man. that's how he's, he is he's a brilliant guy uh yeah so let's just go through some some stuff here so fritz mentioned that his name came uh, from the Rowan and Martin's Laugh-In in the late 60s. Have you ever seen that? I've I've seen, like, I've, I've not actually seen full episodes, but I know it was a variety show. 
similar probably to like Hee Haw without the kind of yeah, hillbilly Yeah, it theme. was sort of like a vaudeville-inspired, yeah. um, you know, today it'd be like Saturday Night or right. Live or Second City or something S- like that. SNL is probably a little more sophisticated version of For sure, what but, it, it is, but, but, it, but it was funny. I watched a few, and I, I found... Um, I found the episode where Fritz, where his character is mentioned. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and play that here for everybody. We fall in on the Farkle at 545, 55th Street and 4th Lane. Father Fred Farkle phase. Hi, I'm Fanny Farkle. This is my husband, Frank Farkle. Our children, Mark Sparkle, Farkle, Fritz and Fred Farkle, and the twins, Simon and Gar Farkle, and her. Hi! Flicker Farkle. That's the whole bunch. Yeah, so there we go. Fritz yeah. Farkle. Fritz Farkle. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I found that, and I, th- I thought that was interesting. Uh, it's probably people listening that have ha- had seen that show and remember that show. It was it was the most popular variety show, oh, uh, yeah. late night show, for quite a while there in yeah. the late seventies or early seventies. Ro- yeah. Ronan Martin's laughing was a was a big deal. I yeah, mean, it was. You, you know, there weren't there weren't uh, seventeen sources of channels to choose from or right and it actually it's a play the the name of it even um is kind of a play on like the love-ins and the sit-ins um the begins and so it it was kind of revolved around that kind of counterculture that was going on in the late 60s it's the it's rated the number 42 show on tv guides 50 greatest tv shows of all time and that's 42 yeah Yeah. so beats a sharp stick in the eye it, yeah, it certainly pretty, does. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. So yeah, so um, I, 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 I tried to look up who was on the varsity tennis team in 1975, which would have been Bill's freshman year, and I ran. I, I mean, I found the yearbook, and I've got pictures of them all, but I can't tell who was on varsity and who wasn't, and so I didn't want to name all their names. But it, anyway, so it would it would be beneficial if we could find out just who the seniors were that named him. Yeah. Kid. Yeah. And so I, I got a, a dead end there. Um, the the deviation from reality summer social, you know, I thought interesting, you know, Vic Kaler, Hank. Uh, what was it? Was Hank. it? Yeah. Vic Kaler, uh, Brad Batten, Steve Dillon, Steve Lehman, all classic upper guys. Oh, you yeah. Know, you still see those guys around. Names town. are still around. Yeah. Yep. You know, and the rest of that crew, hopefully everybody, you know, from the crew, Jared Orians and Matt Schroeder and Don Parcel and Becky Lehman and Kurt McMillan and Juice and all those guys. Hopefully, uh, you know, a couple of those guys get a hold of this episode. and Oh, we'll, we'll get this memories. in their ears. Don't worry. Yeah. Brian, you, I mentioned it in the intro. So we were thinking of Hilsies in Cary. Yeah. Out yep. by the tracks. Yep. Uh, and it's, it's, it's not, still, not to be mistaken with Billy Bob's, which there, is there is still exactly. a bar out there, but it's it's that was you're right. That used to be Hillsy's, not Billy Bob's. Yeah. I found Bud's Tavern in Fremont is still there. Is it? Uh, it's right on. It's right there on Route 20 northwest of like downtown Fremont, kind of on your way out to the highway. Still there. Still has live music a couple nights a week. They've got a DJ that plays up there a whole bunch. Um, so that's still going on. Rainbow Lanes and Lounge, that's still a thing. The Rainbow Lounge? The, what, it, it's just called Rainbow, Rainbow Lanes, Lanes, but yeah. Where was that? In Fremont also. As as he was talking about that, the only thing I could think of was uh, the, the Rainbow Lounge was the name of the bar that Lemmy Kilmeister from Motorhead always oh, hung nice, out at. Oh, nice, nice. So it's like a big rock and roll bar in Hollywood. And when he was talking about the Rainbow Lounge, that's that was what was going through my head was probably a pretty rough joint, but I'm sure it was a lot of fun. 
Yeah. Um, so they, they talked about the Danger Brothers. Did you ever see the Danger Brothers down at like no. Heine Gate or yeah. you know, yeah. Heine Gate, Putin Bay. Um and, and it's funny, he was he was talking about how they were playing, you know, in, in the building right next to him, but then the the building right next to them very easily could have been Pat Daly at the what the beer barrel or yes um, uh yeah those are I mean it, it it was like a kind of classic era of of those kind of early bar bands it was probably as far as I'm concerned it was probably the peak of Putin Bay um it it certainly was the probably the second or third generation deep of people going there and hanging out whereas now it's a little bit more um Policed, I think, is probably the best way to say. Yeah, it. well, since uh, you know the Roofy scandal, Roofy Gate up there in like 2014. Yeah, um, th- those kind of things kind of ruined a good time for a lot of people. They do. Way to go! Yeah, some bartender up there ruined it for everybody. Darn it! Yeah, that was good. You know, j- even that story about them playing triple headers up there. Yeah, you know, play, I mean, playing a show and and in the afternoon and another one in the evening and another one the next morning. The next morning. Oh and, man! I mean, uh, yeah, just you know, it's an interesting time. And I I like that they talked about that balance. That when Fritz said he's like, man, I think the yard needs mode. <laughs> yeah, you know, that's it. I was thinking that. It's like, man, when are you guys? It was what well, they were doing. Well, that's kind of what I was getting at when I was saying, you know. Typically, when I go up as a, a spectator or as a party goer or whatever you want to call it, you know, you, there is a certain feeling that you're stuck there on the island. Once once the ship oh, leaves, yeah. you're you're done. That's you, the beauty of it. That's the night. Yeah, yeah, that's the beauty it, yeah. of it. But at the same time, imagine if you were stuck there on that island, but you had to work. Like yeah, that, right. That's the, the, it's not all fun and games when you're standing up there yeah. uh, entertaining people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they had to stay sober. And yeah, right. Sober-ish. Ish, yeah. So they had to tear their equipment down. They had to do all the stuff that uh, you know they would normally do with any other gig. Yeah, I did a little research into Mister Ed's um, up there, and man, that's like a whole uh, institution like a whole, of it itself. It is an institution sure. of they own several bars yep. all over Ohio. Um, Ed Fitzgerald is, is his that name. his name, and then his son owns a couple, I think, in Toledo, or at that's least a, one in Mr. Toledo. Ed's has been there. 30 years that I know of. Oh I mean, yeah. I, you know, it was funny. I couldn't on their website or anything. Maybe. I, they didn't have like a history link no. and I couldn't really find anything about when they started. Um, but they're still there obviously. Um, and going strong, they've got a, you know, pool bar and all that fun stuff. Sure. So that's all, it's all good stuff. You know where the name put in Bay comes from, Brian? Uh, that's where they would put in. That's correct. When there's bad weather, yep. they'd put in at, in the Bay. <laughs> and uh that's the best that's the best theory i could find yeah it was protected do you know anything about the uh the story of lon's winery i actually do know about the story of lon's winery and i have kind of a uh, i have kind of a, a bad connection to that actually my sister was there that day oh and at the time she was um she was still in nursing school mm-hmm. she's she's now a, a nurse practitioner but she was she was there and wasn't a, a full-fledged RN yet, I don't believe. But if, became a full-fledged RN that day? Well, she had. I think she had done a rotation um, maybe in a, an emergency room at one point. Yeah. But that day she was there, and I know the guy that passed away, she worked on him until the EMS came. So she did chest compressions, she did like the whole thing, and that's pretty much when she decided, I think... Now, I, I could be wrong here, but um, I, I think that's when she decided that maybe traumatic stuff wasn't for her. Oh, like it, yeah. It's just not because it's hard to do. You know, you can't uh, 
you can't put that stuff down sometimes. So. I, you know, I can't, you know how, um, and, and actually I was supposed to be there that day. <laughs> I had to work, uh, the night before. So I ended up not going up that Friday and I was going to go up. That was a Saturday and I was going to go up that Saturday and I decided not to. And an hour later after I had decided it, I, that's when I heard the news and I don't have the best memory and I, but and you know, you can't, I can't tell if it's like a Mandela effect type thing. Like I feel like I was at put in bay that weekend, but I think also maybe it's like where people are like, Oh yeah, I saw the plane go into the world trade center. It's like, <laughs> yeah. no, you just watched that on TV a bunch of times You've seen it enough. Yeah. And, and I can't, I, it, it feels like maybe I was there, but I would have been young. There were so a I, lot of people though, that were there. Like that yeah, was, Oh in, yeah. In 21, let's see, we were, so I would have been 22 years old, and that would have been the perfect time for us to be there. Like, Agreed. Uh, you know, yeah. that was it was probably when I was going there the most between 21 and 23. Ugh. Yeah, because when you were that age and you first went there, you're like, oh my, what is this? Yeah, what is this? Well, and and we knew like we knew people that had places the, the up Clarks there. The Clarks and the Graf Millers. There was the, there was guys that we knew that were up there. There a was lot. always a place to yeah. crash. Yeah, um, Rob was always up. Rob was on always that there. Area. The, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and a lot of times I, like I would go up a lot with, uh, Todd Graf Miller and his, his family, they had a boat, so we would stay on the boat. Yeah. Labor Day weekend was always a big one for us. What, what year do you think Lon's winery was built originally? Uh, 1885. Wow. Nice. 1884. Okay. Yeah. I was so, going to say, I knew it was old. Yeah. Peter Lon's. Um, there used to be an another winery up there called the Golden Eagle Wine Cellars in 1866. That's the oldest one up there. And then uh, Peter Lons established his in 1884, and then they both combined. So the winery that is Lons's was really both of those wineries combined. Who, who was the other one? It was uh, Andrew Worley. Worley. They ended up buying, like, uh, didn't they own, like, Colonial Club and a couple other... Like like the the brand bought other brands, I think. Yeah, yeah, they were. They I I you know, in doing the research, um, learned that they were a, a a big operation. Yeah. Yep. And very highly touted wines. People yeah. said it's like the best wine not in California, yeah, in the United right. States. Well, especially then because there there just wasn't a, a a business of making wine, but that was that was right. It wasn't during Prohibition. It was actually long before that, but. But there was still a, a uh, during prohibition. There was still a business of going between Canada and the mainland, uh, moving booze. During prohibition, you could buy a bottle of Lon's grape juice, and it came on the bottle with instructions on how to ferment it at home. <laughs> nice, because there wasn't it, it, it wasn't illegal to ferment wine at home. Well, it it also wasn't illegal to to sell alcohol if it was like medicinal yes so, correct, true. so there were there were ways that places kept in business a lot of places turned into apothecaries yeah and things right. during that time yeah so uh yeah so lawns and a uh, uh, fact check on me i said june 31st 2000 but it was july 1st okay 2000 so july that was july 4th weekend uh, right yeah yeah it had to be well right yeah i mean close enough yeah because yeah, it was saturday it was saturday if yeah it was the first yeah so it would have been that weekend tuesday um then uh yeah so and now lon's winery is a state park it's the 74th state park in uh in yeah. ohio really 
Yeah. So, and you can go up and do tours and stuff and they've got the old castle, the historic lawns winery is like, uh, you can do tours and things like that. And the facade of that castle is still all up there. Um, they spent a couple million dollars getting that place back to being normal. They spent a couple million dollars getting that place out from under large legal. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure that was not good. Uh, Mackinac Island was mentioned. They had a gig up in Mackinac Island. I yep. looked and there's a lot of options of places they could have played up there in the late nineties. Um, and they couldn't quite remember what that place was called. So I don't know. Mackinac Island sweet though. If you've never been there and got there, no it, cars on Mackinac. Island. It is. It's funny that, that they were thinking it was going to be a big party environment, but it was, but it was really just, could you turn that down for me? Please? Yeah. <laughs> Tin Goose Saloon in Port Clinton is still there, but now it's just the Tin Goose Diner. Oh, so it's on Madison Street in Port Clinton. Okay. Um, and that gets me to the bar that I thought we'd maybe have the most fun talking about, and that is uh, the alibi, <laughs> the alibi room. So, Oh, yeah. Barry Cheese. if you're from this area, you know who Barry Cheese is. Just, you know, he's, kind of, he's upper's bartender. I, I guarantee you he's poured you a drink. Yep. I think he's upper's bartender. What you, you know, he was at the alibi room, and then he was at... Uh, the poor house. And then he was at steer barn, steer barn. And then he, he's been at Don Tomaso's and he's in uh, Woody's for a while. And too, Woody's. Even. Yeah. And, so, yeah. And he, and he's still at, at Shotzi's back at Shotzi's. Oh, he is now. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I didn't he's, know he's been he there for a while there. Okay. Yeah. Great dude. Just a nice guy. Always has yep. a smile on his face. Barry's and, a good guy. And the alibi room was, um, just a cool spot. Well, I mean, it was, it was his family's bar, right? Like, didn't his parents own it or his dad owned it? Yeah, I and couldn't. I could. His, sorry. I think he and his brother took it over. Um, and, and it's, you know, running a bar isn't easy. So family issues got in the way and, and they ended up just, they had to close it down. So yeah, it was open until 2002 and it's right next to Pennard's barbershop. It's now an apartment. I remember yeah. Kim Stump lived there. Well, I think she was like the first person to rent Did there. You? Yeah, Donna and Jerry Taylor bought it, okay. um, and ever originally, and now it's just Donna and Jerry. I did some auditors website uh, stalking <laughs> on that one. Yeah, but great, just a cool old spot that I think people remember. And you know, it I, wasn't big. No, I, I, a good episode might be sort of to get some people who, from before our time even to talk about the sandbox. Oh and, yeah, you know the gaslight, the gaslight. Yeah, it's yep. all the old bars that have been uptown because you know they're there's they're all, none of them are left now. T- uh, yeah, TNT's, I mean, but, T- but TNT's is new. I mean, that's in kind of our generation. Yeah, it, uh, the boxcar. Yeah. I should, I obviously should mention the boxcar, the I mean, oldest uh, continuously operated business in up in yeah. Wyandotte County. Is that 1845? Is that 1869? 69. Okay. Yeah. So it's been a bar for a hundred and. 50 years yeah in that years. same little building yeah uh sort of like the buildings got bigger because they they yeah. absorbed the house beside yeah. it but yeah i think that building's always been there but it's like uh yeah now they've absorbed into it a little bit it was built by michael o'donnell in 1869 so used to be a pennsylvania depot right next to it so you could jump off the train and have a beer at the boxcar Grossman's maybe yeah Grossman's owned it for a while okay boots was it was an boots. old man yep and as a, as a young man, uh, and when I say young man, I was 19, 20 at the time. Like, there, it wasn't as popular as it is now. Like, no, because it was a dive. It, it, it was, was a before dive. dives were cool. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and at the time, the Sandbox, the uh, Alibi, and the Rosebud were still open. Yep. So there was plenty of places to go. 
but I would go in the box car and I, I could go in there as, as long as Boots was working because he'd sit in there and watch TV. Oh yeah, and yeah. Uh, certain tight TV, yeah. <laughs> and and he would uh, he'd serve me, so I'd sit there and have two or three beers, and then and then leave. You know, it was that was probably the my first foray into sitting at a bar having drinks, being a grown up kind of. Yeah, uh, I think it's safe to say. I was I was gonna say it seemed like when we were younger, the box car was not a it was not a college bar. No, no, no. It no. was an old bar. It was a it darts was bar. like a darts bar, yeah. pool table bar. Pool table and darts. Know, yeah. Yep. So Thanksgiving Eve was mentioned. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a yeah. night. Mugsies. You know, and I know people talk about why those nights aren't as big as they used to be. And people talk about cops, cops you know, everybody's kind of cracked down on DUI, drinking and driving. And that's a good thing. But it, Thanksgiving Eve and Easter Eve were, especially for us, because we we went away to college, but we came back early. We and didn't. we were of that college drinking age in upper before there were other people. We also <laughs> didn't know what other people were doing until we got there. Yes, like we we didn't know. We knew that there were going to be as single guys. We knew that there were going to be single girls there. We just didn't know which ones. Yeah, because we didn't yep. we didn't put our we didn't have social media to say hey gonna be up at Muggsy's tonight or, and all the college kids are home all the college kids are home everybody's home everybody and, knew and it. not even college kids but anyone who moved away you were probably home or you it know, was generally assumed if you wanted to be seen or you wanted to see other people you get there you were you get there yeah, yeah. go up and have a drink that was it and now like there's there's people who would come home or will come home and. I only want to talk to one or two people, so that's the only people they talk to. Yeah, it's different. It's different. Yeah. Tyson Saul and I used we worked a couple Mugsy shows mm -hmm. in 2000, 2001, 2002 maybe even. Um and we would make 200 bucks a night just sure. just, just slinging drinks. And I that's mean, back when Keith Nitacor always had a big th uh, Thanksgiving Eve party at yes. his house. So we would go from Keith's party up to Mugsy's and then Typically end end the night somewhere between the Rosebud and and uh, TNTs or wherever, but yeah, yeah, Rosebud then TNTs, then maybe back to the Rosebud, then, maybe back then to, the to Rosebud. Tasty Pastry, then to Tasty for Pastry food afterwards for, for, for a, a pizza pocket, hot pocket or a hot yep. pocket. Oh man, yeah. yeah. So Zeke was mentioned in the Zeke reunion and all that stuff, and I'll tell you what, and Fritz said it. That's a whole episode in and of itself. Yeah, yeah, we and we could you know, easily get some people who were involved in that. Yeah. So, um, there, there's a guy, um, I think Pete Sanderson who posted some stuff online, you know, a few years ago and I found it and it, it was like a write up online that he, this guy just put on there and he named all the, all the guys. And it was July 5th, 2008 was the Zeke reunion. Um, I'm just going to read, read you this because it's perfect. Uh, Legendary Upper Sandusky rock band Zeke reunited to perform for the first time in 36 years on Saturday, July 5th, 2008, as headliners of the first Wyandotte Music Festival. Over 2,000 people, that's the Daily Chief Union estimate, packed the space east of the Merchants Building at the fairgrounds for this once-in-a-lifetime experience. And, and that's not into like so this is basically the predecessor to uh Weinstock. It the, really is the YP's yeah. Weinstock. And this was Larry Teal's brainchild. Like I, I give him a lot of credit for this because he really made it happen. But this wasn't even in a, a large area. It was all 
right in front of the the dining hall, like that. Yeah, that con- or actually it was behind the dining hall, I guess. That concrete area or yes. blacktop area. That's where everybody was. There, oh, yeah. there was no like yard or lawn to sit in. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, just uh, they. So Zeke, you know, these are some facts. Uh, in 1972, um, Zeke won the Ohio Battle of the Bands and placed second in the National Battle of the Bands in South Carolina. South Carolina. Um, and they were named Ohio's Best Rock Band in 1972. That is pretty cool. They're from Upper Sandusky, Ohio. Yep. They also performed for a week at Cedar Point that summer. And they talked about that. Yeah. So they, they was a one week. Um, and Fritz was a kid. So huh, Fritz was a kid. <laughs> so he remembered it as not, he wasn't sure how long it was, but it was, you know. But he could remember A, a week when you're a kid, getting to live at Cedar Point for a week. Sure. Yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They also performed a concert. In 1972, and Pete Sanderson had recorded it, and uh, with his sister's cam, a little uh, handheld recorder, and I will at the end, I'll finish up with a, a little Zeke song. It's the the sound quality of it's horrible. Sure, it's 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 probably um, not even reel to reel, or it is, but is reel to reel. Yeah, yeah, it is. But so uh, for historic context, though, I will will play it. Uh, yeah, and they were, those guys were all named just a bunch of good people, um, and and a bunch of fill-ins too. Eric King played for his dad, who went to Tom, who graduated with me. Or, yeah, well, who was in my class? I should say he he left and was homeschooled. Oh, was he? Year. Okay, yeah. After sophomore year, he was homeschooled. Um, but you know, he, he's we still hung out with him. Yeah, though. Fritz played for his dad. Uh, Miranda King, uh, who's now Miranda Inglis, played for. Um, her uncle, um, Eric's brother, Justin King, also played. So the King family was represented. Uh, Pam Johnson sang a song. You know, Isaac did. So that that was a cool thing. I remember going to that. So Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. Well, uh, Miranda sang in place of Pam Johnson because Pam Johnson passed away. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, Miranda sang in place of Pam Johnson. Sorry yeah. about that. Yeah. So anyway, so that, that was kind of cool. And then... Um, they, so they mentioned ZZ top, that ZZ top story. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've not, I've done some research and I haven't been able to corroborate that story. Um, because I can't find where ZZ top played in a battle of the bands in Georgia or South Carolina in that period. But ZZ top did make some trips into Georgia and South Carolina in the mid seventies, you know, 73, they played three shows in Georgia, a couple in South Carolina and the same in 74. So it's certainly possible. They played a hundred million shows in Texas. Yeah, they did. <laughs> well, they, they were working the circuit. They I mean, were. That's where they were from. Yeah. So. The, what is it? The, that little old band from Texas. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Sure. So, uh, the band Jake was mentioned, Bob Latham, Randy Bidelcheese, Tom Burns and John Gamber. Um, and that teen center was the old Thurman hotel, uh, which was on, if anyone's seen the pictures of this, like right across street from the party pack caddy corner from East of Chicago. Now where the nowadays, the prosecutor's offices and the health departments right there, that was the Thurman hotel, which was built in, uh, 1888 and was a big hotel. And then eventually um, it, you know, was turned into apartments and a couple, uh, businesses were in and out of there, but it was the rounded building. If you've ever seen that building in upper that had a rounded corner on the corner, mm-hmm. that was that building is the Thurman hotel. Okay. They tore it down in, uh, 1978. So oh. right after the teen center. 
So yeah. So uh, Marble was mentioned. Marble was yeah. I see. Um, you yeah. know Matt Marshall, Matt Gamber, Eric King, Isaac Orians, Tom McDemy. Like those when we were in high school, it was pretty cool to have a local, have a high school that, band. That was our Zeke. That was our Zeke. Yeah. We, yeah. We you know we we patronized them or not patronized we uh, we we went to see them every opportunity we got. They played at um, the uh, Sumo Fest. The Love Cat Sumo Fest. The Love Cat Sumo Fest. They did. They yeah. did. And nineteen ninety six. No, uh, would have been nine. So it was my senior year. Ninety five. It was, was ninety five. Okay. Um, might have even been ninety four because I can't remember if it was football season. Shout or spring. out to Jan Stonenburner for helping us. Yeah. Put together the Love Cat Sumo Fest. That so, was fun. So when it comes to marble, I can give you a bit. And and we talked about them being brace originally. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Isaac and I actually had a chance to talk about this a while back. Um, so Isaac was playing drums and Matt Marshall was playing lead guitar and I'm trying to think of who else was, uh, Tom was, I think Tom, yeah, Tom was singing, Matt Gamber was, I think Matt Gamber was playing, I don't remember if Matt Gamber was in Brace. Anyhow, there was a, there was a battle of the bands in Finley and this was sophomore year in high school. So this would have been 1992, 93. Yeah. I don't even know if I could drive yet, Yep. but when we were younger, uh, Floyd Marshall, Matt's oh, yeah. dad, used to pick up whomever, take them out to hit their oh, house. Oh, man. And we would stop and get pizza, pizza and all sorts of awesome and stuff. chips and yeah. whatever. And we'd spend the night there <sighs> playing the basement. Matt Marshall had the greatest sleepovers, he man. Really did. Like, he really And he was a good house. Guy. was I always, awesome. I always liked Matt. And they his, had the plushest carpet of any house I was in. When it was, I was probably a kid. the nicest house I was in when yeah, I was a kid. Yeah. Had a pool. Man. Oh, yeah. So, so we would spend the night there. And that's when, that's really when we, like, when they, I should say, because I wasn't in it, but I was always around. That's when they started playing. And I remember this was my one claim to fame. I got to name the band. Um, oh. they, were, they were sitting around the basement trying to figure out what to call themselves. And I said, and Matt at the time uh, was, was wearing a brace on his hand because he had <laughs> okay. sprained it. Yeah. And I said, what about brace? And, and that's what they went with. That lasted, I think, one show. You're such but, a trendsetter. I know. I was... Uh, it, it's kind of funny. Isaac didn't remember that, but I certainly did. Nice. Um, but they, they later, later went on to become marble and then, uh, yeah, then 66 leaves and, and different iterations of those same guys, but they were fun. Upper, you know, we're, well, we're a music city USA as I see on the signs and we're for uh, now upper is, yeah, upper <laughs> is a musically talented community. I yeah. mean, it's not, it's not Asheville. Or Austin or Nashville, you know, no, but, but, but there is in live our own music little here. way, we, we like and support music. Sure. We and support the arts in general. Yeah, I think. exactly. Yeah. And there's a lot of good bands around town right mm -hmm. now and in, in Wyandotte County and in, in the area. So yeah, well, we definitely had a, I had a blast interviewing Fritz and the kids. That was man. fun. Yeah, it was yeah. fun. They're, um, they're just good dudes. They, and, and. I thought that they interviewed really well because they did like the mic. They both are used to being on a mic and they got right up on them. And yeah, they did. Sounded good. <laughs> so, yeah. So we appreciate it. And um, plus, plus I got to uh, I got to clear my chest and, and come clean with with uh, Bill and let him know that I left the country. Yes. On probation. That yeah. made me feel really good. So. Yeah. Mark and, Mays is probably after you right now. <laughs> He's like, I'll get him. You know, the funny thing is I, I had a chance to talk with uh, Corey Davis, who who also was one of the my my partners in crime so to yeah. speak and was, my brother huh and my brother was in that crew, yeah wasn't yeah he? yeah um but but cory was uh on probation at the time too for <laughs> for something different uh, yeah um but anyway 
he was with me when we went to Canada and I told him, I said, Hey, by the way, we interviewed Fritz and the kid. And I came clean and said that we left the country. He goes, Oh man, tell Bill, I said, hi. Nice. So, yeah. So this is another example of how, you know, Bill's, he was being kind to himself saying that, well, you oh, know, Bill's no, a... thanks to me, but no, Bill, I don't think he understands how much of a, an impact he had on people's lives at, at my age, like yeah. people, my age's lives. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's no question that both these guys have been great influences in our, in our County and in the area they've been awesome guys. And we are super appreciative of them coming on today. I hope everyone out there enjoyed, please subscribe to our podcast and check us out at real stories, podcast.com. Brian and I will keep these coming. We've got maybe a couple more to go and then uh, we'll take a little break record a bunch of shows this summer and release it in the fall but anyway keep listening to us we have a few more coming and we appreciate everyone listening this has been another great episode of real stories okay if you stuck around this long you must want to hear this zeke clip i've got uh, from 1972 harrison smith park live Zeke concert. Special thanks to Pete Sanderson and to his sister for letting him use her recorder that day. I think you can hear Pete right here at the beginning. Come on, you guys go. We're going to play. I'm turning this thing on. Mike. Hey, we're going to play. We're going to play Teach Your Children now. Turn up a little bit on the catch all of this boat turned on a